When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw, and that would be the legendary WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And you talk about a life. This man was in the main event of WrestleMania. He is also the only man to ever win a women's championship in the WWE and... He's an elected official in Mississippi. He is Mr. Harvey Whippleman downtown. Bruno, welcome to the show, Bruno. Man, I'm so happy to be here, John. I'm so happy to see you and, and my good friend Gerald as well. And I hate that it's virtual instead of together. So we click a few beers together, but uh, I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to this ever since uh, y'all reached out to me, and I, and I appreciate it. Me well, too. Well, Bruno, I'll, Bruno, I'll, you. I'll tell you a little story. Vince McMahon, I used to ride on a plane with him all the time because I lived in New York. And so after all, I'd go back. I was working, you know, when I wasn't doing commentary on Wall Street. And uh, he read your book one time. We're going back and playing. This book is excellent. He wow. absolutely loved it. He says the best book he had read. Uh, well, and I, I appreciate after that. reading through a lot of it uh, today, it is, it is. You have a great way of being able to put in print what you ha- mean from your, your mind. And some people can't do that. Yeah, John, I appreciate that. And I want to tell you something. Your book that you put out, I swear to God, I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you because you're my friend. It's the truth. It changed my life. And I'm not joking. When I read that passage you said about getting out of debt, clear your debt before anything else, that went in my head and never left. And my goal from that day forward was to be out of debt. And here it is, however many years later it is since you wrote the book. Uh, other than the monthly bills that we all have, I don't care if you're Bill Gates, you know, whatever. I, I'm completely debt free. Every only thing I get is my little credit card bill a month, and I just pay that off. So thanks to advice that you put out, I am completely debt free, and, and I owe that to the advice that you, you know, put out not directly to me, but it's the truth. Well, hey, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You told me that before. I, it really does. It really does mean a lot to me. That's you know, that's the one thing that the guys used to always say in the businesses. Buy you a home. You can pump gas and get to pay your bills if you own right. your home. You know, that's right. the one thing the old boys, you know, the old guys are pretty good about. You'd buy something. Right. And Stan Hansen would say, don't buy a boat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Some of these guys, they'll, they'll get a good paycheck and they'll go buy a motorcycle or something. I get a good paycheck. I put it in the bank, put it and save it right now. Nothing's earning no interest. So if I get some money from the Dwayne thing or whatever. I just put it in my bank account, let it sit there until something changes, you know, and then I'll maneuver around. Well, Bruno, I want to officially welcome you to uh, Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. You know, we, we, we've we been going down the list, and then uh, we came to 
downtown Bruno and John and I both, man, we got a smile on our face as soon as uh, your name came up and I, I made the call to you. And I just want to want everybody to know you're a hard man to get a hold of, but uh, we finally connected, you know, you're an alderman of Walls, Mississippi. And, and uh, you know, uh, John and I are very pleased to have you on there. And man, you know, going through your book, what some great stories you have. And, and you know, you, you've, you've been around since the, the beginning almost of WWE, but you had such a fascinating way of getting in. You wasn't really a wrestling fan, but you went to a, uh, a street carnival in right. Walls, Walls, and you you found a, a, one of the carny shows there, and you you volunteered to to tear the equipment down. And from there, you just you just kind of hitched on, and you took off out of town. Did your parents didn't even know where the hell you were going or anything? Kind of tell us that. Lead us, lead us through that story. Yeah, well, I was basically actually that wasn't in Wallace. That was in West Virginia. It was up up in the Mason Dixon line area. And this guy I knew was working at the fair, selling whatever. And he says, "You want to go with me?" And right over, I said, "Okay." And I was up there at the time because my daddy got work up there in, in that West Virginia Panhandle area. So anyway, there was wrestling in a tent at the fair. And I wanted to go in and watch the matches. And they said, no, that's extra. That ain't, you don't get in here free. You have to pay. I said, oh, Jesus Christ. I didn't have any money back then. I was 13 years old. So this one guy said, if I would stay and promise to take down the ring afterwards, he'd let me come in for free. So I did it. And I'm a man of my word. I took the ring down. Well, the guy that I rode over there with was done with his Thing he said, Well, we got to go, we got to leave. I said, I can't. I promised these people I'm gonna take the ring down. Well, I gotta leave. You're gonna have to stay with get one of them to bring you home. I don't never break my word, so I went on and stayed and took the ring down. Uh, excuse me, I asked one of them to give me a ride home. They said, No, we're going to South Dakota. I said, Can I go? They said, Yeah, if you want to. So that's how my time in the business started. 13 years old. Wait a minute. So you went you went to a carnival to work. You you got an extra job so you could watch the wrestling matches, and then you tag on with the guys, and you don't come home. I didn't come home, and, and you're thirteen. Back then. What's that? Thirteen, yeah. That's how it started. What? So, what did your well, mom and dad think? Obviously, there were no cell phones back then. How did right. you get word to your parents? And what? What did I'm surprised they didn't send a law out for you. Yeah, they were probably relieved that I wasn't dead and probably happy I wasn't there bothering them. But I finally got a bunch of quarters, you know, or dimes, whatever it was back then on the payphone to call long distance and told them, you know, hey, I'm I'm in the wrestling business now. I'm in the wrestling business. What did yeah. they think, man? They said, how are you in the wrestling business? I said, I'm putting up the ring and taking it down. They're going to teach me how to referee. So you you were what five foot ten, 130 pounds at the time or something like that. Oh shoot. No, I'm not five foot ten now. Five foot seven back then. I'm I'm one eighty five now. I'm kind of fat now, but back then I was tiny. So that Bud Light, man. Yeah, and and eating good. But you know they they little by little taught me how to uh, manage. But they didn't smart me up at first. They didn't smart me up to the business. So the tell first the story. I read I read the story, uh, 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 Bruno, where where the referee was trying to tell you a high spot, and you were what the hell is this man talking to me for? And you ignored yeah. the high spot, and and the, and the baby face or the hill got uh, got a little pissed at you. Yeah. Well, what happened was I was they didn't smart me up to the business. They let me go out there and manage, and I thought manager would just yell at the people, "Shut up, you geeks, you bunch of jerk, or whatever." So I'm at ringside. And the referee leans over and goes, 
when Joey hit, got him Joey Kegley, is when Joey hits the ropes, trip him, make it over. I said, no. He goes, trip him. And the guy hit the ropes. I stepped way back. I thought maybe the referee didn't like him or he's trying to get the guy to beat me up. I didn't know. I wasn't smart. So I backed up. But the, Joey took the bump anyway because he, he was expecting it, which was a green move too. But so – we got back in the back, man. I got bitched out from one end of the thing to the other. The promoter was a guy named Dale Mann. And I explained to that to him. He goes, okay, let's sit down and talk to you about the business. Then he explained everything to me. And I caught on pretty quick. And then a guy named Jonathan Boyd, who was kind of a jerk, but he was an old timer. He kind of took a liking to me. So he helped me out a lot too. And helped me, you know, Learn the business, which which was a good help. And then I went on to work for Bob Goggle in Kansas City. And we would, it's funny, I was a heel manager for the Kansas Central States, which is Kansas City. But we would go to St. Louis once a month, which was different TV. They didn't see that. So I was a heel manager in Kansas City all month. But once a month in St. Louis, I was a referee. And that's where I met your brother. That's right. And the, the boss there was Sam uh, Munchnick, Munchnick. Yeah, Larry Matizik, and Pat O'Connor. So those guys were always very good to me. And that's where, like I said, that's where I met uh, Jack, uh, bless his soul. That's where I met him. And he was always real nice to me. That's where I met Ted DiBiase and uh, different ones. And, and that's when I learned how to referee, learned how to manage. And then uh, in Kansas City, that's when Rocky Johnson took me to Hawaii. And, and, and wait, that Bruno, was, Bruno, wait, wait just a minute before you before you go a little further because it's really interesting. I gotta know this. You're 13 years old. You don't go home. <laughs> You're on the road. Where are you staying? Are you getting paid? And these guys, did they think they were adopting you? I mean, are you like a stray kitten on the side of the road? You yeah, well, they were there, and they take you with them. Well, after the summer was over, I went back to Mama and him for a while, or I'd go to my grandma's down in. Yeah, but the first night, where did you stay? Like the first night you go, okay, I'm going to go with you guys. And they take you in, and you're now part of the, the traveling troop at Thebes 13. Right. Where, where did you stay? Where did you get money for food? What did you do? Well, they gave me $10 a day. Plus, they'd feed me at the at the fair. It was like a fair tour, you know. And so they'd feed me there $10 a day. And we stayed at a converted school bus that this whole crew, it wasn't like a territory. It was like, like you said, a traveling troop. It was a converted school bus with like bumps and stuff. And I stayed there. You know, was anybody else close to your age? No, not even close, but they were so like a bunch of old carny guys. And yeah. you're like this 13 year old yeah. who has basically run away from home. Except, right. You know, your parents, I guess thought it was okay. You just couldn't get hold of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was it. And that's just like a, to meet all these guys and uh, that's why you know and i'm not going to get into anything negative but that's why like before we went on the air we we're talking about certain people that think they're blogging our business that don't and don't understand what people like us have gone through everybody's got a story you do gerald has everybody you know and we've just paid our damn dues and that was paying the dues you know but uh, you so right were you were you in school at the time or was that yeah. summer well, it was summer, but then I was still in school, and I went back to mom and him for a while. Went back to school for a little while. Long story short, uh, I got what the '80s equivalent of was a GED was because I never graduated. You know, I'm, I, I like I, I made a speech when I was running for alderman. I said I, I graduated with a BS, an MS, and a PhD. We all know what BS is. MS is more same, and PhD is piled higher and deeper. 
That's my education. I'm like Willie Nelson. I received my education in the cities of the nation. <laughs> you, 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 and uh, uh, you and uh, uh, Brawler. Me, me and Paul. <laughs> yeah, me and Brawl. <laughs> well, Bruno, how, how how did you end up a doctor? Jack Tunney. Jack Tunney. He, yeah, remember he was like the the president. Yeah, the head. Yeah, the, the TV. Uh, Figurehead president, yeah. And he, he said, why don't we carry a doctor bag? You can be Dr. Harvey Whitman. I said, I don't care. Call me what you want. Long as the, you know, it says Bruno Lauer on the page stub. So, I, you know. Um, so but you, yeah, you were, you you were Dr. Spazinski or something like that for a while. Yeah, I was Dr. Leonard Spazinski back in uh, Dito Tatry. You remember Dito Tatry? Yeah. He was the original okay. Mongol. Yeah. Him and Nikolai. He gave me that name. He thought the people, because that's when that TV show or movie Revenge of the Nerds was out. They called people spaz. He yeah. thought people would say spaz, spaz, but they didn't, you know, because it was, <laughs> they did not. It wasn't very uh, catchy, but that was his idea. So, well, Bruno, <laughs> when, when did you, then when you came back after the initial trip and you tell your parents what you've been doing, obviously you called them and so they, they knew not to worry about you, but you come right. back and tell them, did you go into wrestling full time then, like when you're, say, 14, 15? Or when yeah. did you first uh, get into? Was it was it St. Louis or was it Bob Goggle that you first went as? Was that your first territory to yeah. work officially? Yeah, my first territory was Bob Goggle. I think I was sixteen or seventeen. You're an old man by then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Bob Goggle was my first territory, full time. And then uh, after that, I went to Hawaii. Then I finally got my break to come home. And I was no, 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 no. Let's back up there. You went to, you can't just skip over. Then I went to Hawaii. Now here's a, here's a little Mississippi boy. And you got this trip to the islands and you were invited. You're 16. To, you, you just, you just, and then I went to Hawaii. Like we're going to just let that drop now. Come go over. Well, I was in Kansas city in 83. I think it was 83 with Rocky Johnson. As you know, his in-laws, you know, ran the uh, organization over there. So, uh, Rocky goes, man, you would get over real good in Hawaii. Why don't you come to Hawaii? We'll fly you over there and, co and uh, come to Hawaii and be a manager. I said, okay, sounds good to me. So I was like, at that time, I was like 18, maybe. And he was all of 18, uh, man. Yeah. Let's so go I went to Hawaii. Hawaii. Okay, man. <laughs> yeah. What's the furthest yeah. west you had been at that point? For, uh, probably like Wichita, Kansas or something <laughs> like that. So, uh, yeah. And I had never been on an airplane before either. And I had to fly from, well, I went back home. And then, then I went to Memphis. I had to fly from Memphis to Chicago, Chicago to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Honolulu. They had me on the Super Saver fare or whatever. And then Lars Anderson picked me up at the airport in Honolulu. And uh, there I was. They put me to work in the office. I had to sit in the office all day. Come to find out, Rocky didn't tell me. They only ran once a week. So I had to work in the office all week, day long, all week long for eight to 10 hours a day to sit there. I said, this is what I was in Kansas City refereeing, going to the towns. Now I'm just sitting in an office with a cancer dog and Leah Maivia. Now, now what, what I heard is that when you got there, you found out you were supposed to be a part of the ring crew. And here you are, a 17, 18-year-old kid, and you tell Lars Anderson, Mr. Tough-Ass Lars Anderson, Hey, I didn't come over here to be a referee. I got put up the ring crew. I come right. over here to be a manager. That's exactly what in, I did. He went in and told the boss that, right? Yeah, and Liam Mafia didn't like that a bit. <laughs> but they didn't tell me that. They didn't tell me that. 
about that time, Rocky went on to work for Vince. So I'm over there without, without a, a, a captain for my boat. Thank God his wife, Atta, Dwayne's mother, took a real liking to me. And she was my savior over there. And that's, that's when you and uh, Dewey, uh, uh, Dwayne, first became good friends, too. Right. right. Yeah. How, well, how I old was he about good friends then. He, he, was, he wasn't much younger than you. Right. 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 He's like eight years younger than me, I think. Something like that. Seven or eight. Yeah. So you were 18 and he was 11. And then you you took him to get drunk or something like that. Or he took you to get drunk. One of those. Well, things. that was later. That's when he came to Nashville with Rocky. They were working for yeah. Memphis. That's when he lived with me for the first time. He was already 6'2", or whatever he was, and he would drive me around where I could drink, and then would go to the beer joints, and people would mess with me, because I was hot back then. You know I mean? From the Memphis TV, which was hot. Everybody knew who I was. They all wanted to fight. Oh, I see what you did to Lawler. I see what you did to Bill Dundee. Try it with me, son of a bitch. I talk to my bodyguard. He'd be standing there like this. And, and they walk away. He looked like he was 25 or 30. You know, he was a rough looking, good looking, but rough looking cat, you know. Great guy. Great guy. So, so to talk about Rock, I watched the video and I knew he uh, got the truck out, you know, the cool relationship you guys had had. Right. It says a lot about Rock, you know, what, what a good, what a good dude. But yes. I, I, I've never heard the story about you buying him a, a car from a truck, from a crackhead. <laughs> yeah, what happened was Yeah, so they they showed that on the Young Rock, which is like a mockumentary, basically. Great show, but they switched it up. What the true story was, me and him were downtown Nashville, Lower Broad, which was now it's all gentrified, you know, with the you know uh, corporate places, coyote ugly or whatever. Back then, it was nothing but honky tonks and beer joints and gin mills and. Homeless people, prostitutes, drug addicts, what we'd call the old Nashville Cowboys, the ones that came to town to get a country music contract and playing a guitar on the street with the, you know, with a can in front of them. So it's a rough, it was very rough. So these this guy walked up to me and Dewey and said, Dwayne, everybody call him Dewey, but so the people know Dwayne, walked up and said, uh, hey man, do y'all, ain't you downtown Bruno? And I said, yeah. And they thought I was rich because I'm on TV like, putting $10,000 bounties out against Jerry Lawler or whatever, you know, and really I made like 60 bucks that night, you know, but still they don't know. We don't buy this car. We got a car for sale, man. We want to buy, you want to buy this car. It was the worst looking car you ever seen in your life. An old Thunderbird looked like it's been road hard and put up wet, just awful. And I said, no, man. Then Dewey's, oh no, Bruno, find out how much he wants for it. I, I, I always wanted a car. Will you buy me a car? I said, but look at that car. Oh, I'll fix it up. I'll clean it up. I said, man, how much you want for it? The guy said, 80 bucks. I said, 80 bucks? I said, damn. That's all you want for it? Well, it start. It start up. I reached my pocket. I said, I ain't kept it 40. I'll take the 40 if you promise to come back tomorrow and give me the other 40. And Dewey goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it. Get it. Oh, boy. All right. I gave the guy the money. We're staying at Alamo Plaza. Hotel in Nashville. It's not there no more. About five miles from where the transaction took place. So, uh, sorry, Dewey. I says, you drive the car, but it ain't got no tags or nothing. So, I'm going to follow you behind in my car so the cops don't get behind you. And, you know, we'll follow each other back to the, we'll trail each other back to the hotel. So, we're driving. He pulls over to the side. I said, oh, Jesus Christ. The damn car doesn't give out already. I can't believe it. Just lost 40 bucks. 
I walked up to see what was happening. What it was, there was another crackhead in the back seat under a whole bunch of garbage and newspapers and blankets, sound asleep. And he goes, hey, what's going on? What's, what's happening? Dwight goes, man, you got to get out of this car. I just bought it from your friend. Well, I'm sorry. Let me gather up my stuff. <laughs> so he got out, walked off, and I trailed Dwight back. But that time, Rocky Johnson's standing there. He goes, what the hell you got here? He goes, look, Dad, bro, just bought me a car. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that car ended up sitting there in that parking lot when they left. It was just it, it wouldn't even start again or whatever. That was his first car, you know. He drove it for a few days, but that was it. <laughs> so, so he never forgot that though. I gave him his first car, you know, and uh, <laughs> he he paid me back. Believe me. Well, t- fast forward to the story because already into it about him paying you back because that's really cool. Yeah, what happened was when you, well, of course, y'all are familiar with Young Rock, the show on NBC. Um, when they were first filming it, he says, uh, Bruno, I want you to come down to Atlanta where we're doing some filming. He goes, and I want you to uh, come down and be a part of the show. Now, initially, now nah, this would have been so funny because he said to me, too, this would have been the ultimate inside joke. When they showed the thing where the crackhead popped up underneath the blankets, it was going to be me. <laughs> Because, you know, the, the people that know it's me, like you and Gerald or whoever, would laugh. The people that don't know, you know what I mean? So it's an inside That's great. But, but the writers changed it because they made, the, believe it or not, they made the crackhead, like, good friends with Rock or something. And d Wirtz changed that? Probably. I don't know who did it. It might have been him. I don't know. It yeah. was probably Brian Gewurz. We, we'll yeah. blame it all on Brian Gewurz. Let's blame yeah, it on him, sure. He's a great guy. But let's blame it on him. But anyways, uh, so I get down there. So they gave me a extra thing in the movie in the show i was just standing in the crowd and and uh i said go Dwayne or something like that just i said like it's funny i never did any acting before um i said well, exactly you've been a wrestler all your life <laughs> yeah but that's because it was ad lib you know so just to say go Dwayne, i had to say it like eight different times i didn't mess it up but they were doing different camera angles and whatnot so they just showed me in the crowd. And then people said, oh, that's Bruno, the ones that knew. So, but anyway, when I was down there, Dwayne says, we're going to do a little something for my Instagram. He goes, I want to, you know, interview you, talk to you about when we grew up together. And when you got me my first car, you let me live with you when, when I was real young. Then you let me live with you again when I first broke in the business and whatnot. You helped me. Okay, so we're just talking about it. The guy's filming it. And during that conversation, in the interview here comes this truck driving up i thought oh shit we're gonna start all over again this damn truck you know interrupted the, the thing he goes oh by the way uh as far as you buying me my first car thank you and i want to uh pay you back that truck right there that's your truck i hope you like it oh my god like a brand new uh ford f-150 fully loaded oh my god i mean i i fell out i mean literally i cried i couldn't believe it and it just meant the world to me. And he's just been so good to me. He's been so good to me. because I just watched that video today. It's one of the coolest videos. I've never seen the whole thing. And I watched it from start to finish. What? A, it, it just, man, it just makes you want to root for the rock. You know, we all know him. We all like him. But, right. you know, you, you see that. You think that's that's something really cool. You know, that's, that's closing a circle. That's uh, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. What, I mean, it meant so much to me. And here's the thing, too, John. When I was, when he lived with me when he was 13, 
it was because Rocky was my good friend. He goes, man, would you let my son live with you? I don't want him living by himself. And I'm out on the road. Of course. And then when he broke in the business, he started out in Memphis and he didn't have any money, no place to stay. He had nothing. So he lived with me in my, that's before I bought the place Gerald was talking about earlier. I was living in, my, in the trailer court and he lived in my trailer and I gave him the back room. Now the thing was, I didn't obviously have any clue that he was not only going to become one of the top guys in the history of our profession, but one of the top guys in the history of Hollywood. I didn't do it for any personal gain. I did it out of friendship. And, you know, and then it makes me feel good that he knows that. And that's the truth. I mean, just I did it because I loved Rocky and I and grew to love Dwayne. How long did he live with you? The first time when he was 12 or 13, he lived with me for about four or five months. And then when he came to Memphis, I'd say three, three months or so until he started getting enough paychecks under his belt where he went and got a little studio apartment up in Midtown Memphis up until he went to work for WWE. Was, was, was his per- personality pretty obvious at the time when he, when he was that age? Or could you, could oh, you yeah. He was, yeah. he was very, very outgoing. Very outgoing, very and very smart. That's the thing. Very smart. And I've stressed this to everybody. I don't care how athletic you are. I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care how talented you are. Whatnot. If in our profession, if not life in general, but especially in our profession, if you're not smart, you're not going to go very far. You got to be smart. And I don't mean smart to the business. I mean just intelligent, yeah. you know. Because wrestlers are different. And this is not to take anything away from football players, basketball players, or tennis players, or any other professional athletes. You know, wrestlers have to create a brand. They have to be able to talk, or they at least have to be able to get themselves over on camera. Not just they've got to be able to run a 40-yard dash at a certain level or, or carry a ball or shoot a basket or something. There's got to be so much more because right. it's, it's all about the camera. And it's not just about what you can do athletically. And that's why you see a guy like The Rock. You know, when we had the Attitude Era and it was so hot, you know, you've seen those shows. We'd have three-hour shows, house shows. And at the end of it, Rock would go out there by himself just with a microphone. And at the end of all of that incredible activity, for 25, 30 minutes, just say his catchphrases and all the stuff he would do, sing a little song, and people ate. Nobody left. Right. It was, I'd sit there and watch it every night. It was one of the most amazing things right. I've ever seen. People are tired, they're ready to go. But all of a sudden, and for 30 more minutes, it's just one guy out there right. by himself with a microphone entertaining the people. It's it's just, right. he's a, he's a one, in, one in a generation, maybe more so guy. Oh, you ain't lying. I mean, him, Hulk Hogan, uh, Stone Cold. Yep. Uh, there's a few others, but just off the top of my head, maybe uh, to me, like Lawler. Dusty Rhodes was, uh, you know, another one. There's certain guys that have that magic lightning in the bottom, you know, and absolutely, he was definitely one of them. And you got to work there in Memphis with one of them. I mean, uh, Jerry Jarrett was on our show, and he said, who else can you put on top 52 weeks a year in the same place? And that Jerry Lawler. I mean, that yeah. guy was – people, you know, see him as the king and kind of the funny guy because he is a funny right. guy. You know, he's a, you know, him and Bobby Heenan, I think, are always, in yeah. my view, the best two color commentators ever. Uh, but they forget this guy was one of the biggest draws in the history of our business. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I owe Lawler and I owe Rocky Johnson, my, my career, because Rocky brought me to Hawaii and got me started, you know, basically. And Lawler gave me my break. And when I was, you know, I didn't have any money back then. I lived in Lawler's guest house. 
on Walnut Grove behind his big house. And, uh, you know, we were mortal enemies, you know, on TV, you know, but I lived in his guest house. And then I would, to pay him back, I would drive him to the towns and, you know, we'd get like three blocks from the arena. He'd let me out. He'd drive up and I'd come walking up. I don't know where the people thought I maybe just got off an airplane. I don't know what they thought. There I come, but yeah, I was his driver, which I was happy to be, you know. And, and then, uh, then he would drive back so I could drink beer because you know Lawler never drank in his life. So it was. I mean, he was really good. To <laughs> that was a good setup. That was a good setup. You'd drive there, and you know, neither one of you drink, and you wanted to drink beers, and he was a non-drinker, so he'd he'd drive the, the the route back. That was awesome. So. So Memphis yeah. came out after you after you went over to Hawaii and you had right. a little run over there and you kind of learned the basics of managing and have, between there and Kansas City. So Lauder kept kept telling you visit these other places so you can learn how to work the business right. on several different angles. That, that's when you went back to Memphis and you got involved kind of in the ring also at the time too, right? Yeah, I wrestled quite a bit. I'm not. I'll never sit here and lie to you or the John or the public and say I'm a great worker. No, but <laughs> no, my God, but I know how to work my match. You know what I mean? I know how to work a match for me, you know, and I worked with a lot of people that were just, you know, girls and midgets and other managers or whatever, because I know what I can do and I'm very limited, but what I <laughs> can do, I'm good at, you know, and I had the same match. Every night, it was so easy, you know. Lock up with you know, full Nelson, full Nelson. They they get bam, they get out of it. Full Nelson, they get out of it. I turn around, they put me in the full Nelson. I can't get out of it. I go to reach for all the ropes on all four sides, can't do it. So I finally jump up, put both my feet on the top row. Of course, the referee makes the person break, and I follow, take the bump, and I lay there and sell the back of my head and whatever. Then we get back up and we do the test the strength and bring my fingers all the way to the mat. They stomp on my fingers. I sell again, you know, it was, I did that every night and then little things, you know, roll out of the ring and, and they chase me and I go to get back in the, and they chase me behind. I stomp them on the head, get a little bit of heat and go do the finish. Boom. Every one night. Of, one of the young ladies that, that you competed with turned out to be an eventual WWE hall of famer and a pretty tough little lady and miss Jackie Moore there. And she was pretty, pretty salty in the ring, right, Bruno? Tell her you had you had several matches with. Oh, her. I probably had two hundred matches with her. No kidding, because we worked everywhere. And I'm gonna tell you, I used to ask her sometimes afterwards, did I do something to offend you? Do you think I'm a <laughs> bad person? Did somebody tell you I was a racist? I what, what, why did you beat me up so bad? You know, it was like she was. I finally told her, look, the reason I got in this business because it was. And I'm not going to use the F word. But you know what I mean. <laughs> As a word. So I said, please lighten up. I mean, she would close on me in my mouth or my nose. I'm like, oh, here, here, please, here, here. You know, you know. And she said, what do you want to do for a finish? I said, Jesus Christ, I'll just hold you down on top of me. I don't care. Don't. <laughs> just beat me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, she was good in the ring, but she was snub, very snub, TV tight even on house shows, even on spot shows. <laughs> yeah. She was, Jackie, she was, Jackie was, Jackie was, Jackie's a tough girl. <laughs> She's a oh, very she tough is. girl. 
I mean, I thought she was mad at me. God forbid if she was, I don't know. I might not be sitting there today. I might be dead because she was, um, hey, I don't claim to be bad. She'd have beat the shit out of me if we got in a, you know, altercation. How, how did you like working with Goggle? I loved it. I loved Bob Goggle. He was a great guy. Great guy. And one of my second run in Kansas City, when I went back there, I was experienced then. This was like 86, maybe. So I've been in the business for like seven years. Robert Fuller called me to come to Alabama. And I didn't, I, I told Bob Goggle, I says, Bob, you know, the Continental wants me to come down. Uh, but man, Bob, I don't want to let you down. I know you, he goes, Bruno, you're going to make more money there. We're not doing too well here. He goes, how long do you need to finish up? He goes, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of promoters, what do you mean leaving me? He was like telling me, go, better yourself, make more money. And I hated to leave the Batten twins. I love those two guys. I really did. But Robert said, look, we want you to come to Alabama. We got an idea for a gimmick for a, a little guy like you that's a real good talker to manage a big muscled up guy with a hockey mask and the leather straps. And we're going to call him Lord Humongous. He goes, he goes, but your job is to find me that guy. And that's when I found Sid. Because I remember Sid from Memphis. And he was just working part-time. He was doing construction, you know, for a living. And I, there was, I guess, like we know, there was no cell phones or nothing. And I had to call all around. Finally got a phone number out for his father-in-law, who had, a, I think, a car lot or something. And he had Sid be there at a certain time where I could call him. Because he didn't even have a phone at his house at the time. And I didn't either. I was on the road. So I didn't have a house. So anyway, long story short, me and Sid went to Alabama. And that's when Lord Humongous, you know, or Sid became Lord Humongous. A guy did that gimmick years before that. So it wasn't the original one, but Robert wanted to do it again. But that other guy was no longer, I don't know if he was no longer in the business or even alive. I don't know. I didn't know him. But that's how that all started. Was Sid as big then as he was a few years later? Oh, yeah. He was huge. Yeah, how, did, yeah. how, did, how did he not have a full-time job? I don't care if he couldn't even get in the ring. He he looked like no one in the history of the business. Oh, I know. He had the look. That, I mean, yeah, you can't teach that. You know, it's just, um, well, what, what, he was still, it was only like two years in the business at the time or something like that. So he, people didn't know him, you know, and uh, he worked Memphis some, but not full time. And there wasn't a lot of money to be made for the underneath guys in Memphis at the time. So he yeah. had to work a regular job. But Whenever Robert Fuller said, do you know a guy? It's my lightning. I mean, the light bulb went off. And I said, yes, yeah, Sid. And that's, that's how it all started for him. Because then later, Eddie Gilbert came in, took over the book from Robert. And then when Eddie Gilbert left and went to WCW, that's where he took Sid there. And that's when Sid's career uh, took off. So Yeah, absolutely exploded. I mean, he, he was yeah. the, re the replacement for Hogan at, at one time. Yeah. And I mean, he had the look. Like I said, you can't oh. teach that. He had the look. I mean, the he had intensity. the look. He could talk. I thought he could work too. You know, I thought he was. You know, people say uh, people just love to say. Anytime you see a big guy with a great body, people say, "Oh, he can't work." Right. And that was the main event of WrestleMania, so yeah, he work, he yeah. did something right. Right. I mean, he was believable. You know, it, it was. I mean, that's right. It was. I mean, he looks like he'd kick your ass. You know what I mean? It's oh like, my god. I, I don't know if there's. I don't know if a better look than uh, than Sid had when he was. At that at that peak with it with Hogan. I couldn't agree with I couldn't agree with you more. You're 100 percent right. So so that was yeah. So but I go way off what you asked. Bob Geigel, great guy, great guy. I, I, I was out there with Pork Chop Cash, Rufus R. Jones, the Batten Twins, Rip Rogers, uh, Mike George, uh, 
the warlord, uh, who I ended up managing in WWE later. Um, gosh, who else was out there? It was just uh, uh, so many. I can't even think of, of all of them off the top of my head, but it was a, a great learning place. Great learning place. Um, the only thing about Kansas City that I didn't care for is Bob Guy was old school. He didn't want, like in Memphis, as a manager, I ran around the ring, attacked the baby face, whenever the referee wasn't looking to, you know, Bob wanted me to stand still, you know, stoic. And it, it, time to me do my thing, do it, and go back. You know, I didn't like that. I wanted, and I wanted to be active. You know, I didn't want to just stand there. It was boring. I knew I could have drew more money if they didn't let Like, I drew a lot of money in Memphis because of Lawler. I ain't saying because of me, but he put me in those positions. But they didn't let me draw money in Kansas City. That's my only complaint. Truthfully. So how long were you with Sid in Alabama? Oh, about a year, give or take. And, and who all was in the territory there? How, how did the run go in Alabama? It went great. It went, it was a it was a the territory was hot at the time. It was uh Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Sid and myself, of course, Danny Davis, not the one that was in WWE, but you know, Nightmare Danny Davis from Louisville. Yeah. Um, Wendell Cooley, Dutch Mantel, your your buddy. Uh, My buddy, that's right. Yeah. Um, Jerry Stubbs, Dirty White Boy, Tom Pritchard. Uh, Lord, who else? Uh, Adrian Street. Uh, gosh. Uh, what what were your hub cities? Uh, Birmingham, Montgomery, Dothan, Columbus, Mississippi, and uh, – We'd work because there was it was like Continental was divided. There was a Knoxville end and an Alabama end. So Ronald Fuller, Robert's brother, ran the Knoxville end. So once a month we'd go to Knoxville for a big show at the arena up there. So that was another whole crew too up there, a different crew. But it was a oh, it was a great bunch of guys. I mean, dirty white boy, what a great worker and a good guy, you know, and just a, a just a great territory. The trips weren't bad. The money was good. The weather was pretty much good most of the time. I, I liked it. There. I loved it there. And I'm last number six, five, zero, eight, four equal housing lender. Whew. Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. Savewithconrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at Savewithconrad.com. Look, we're all adults here. I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. It's a new year. Why not start it out by switching to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? My family and friends that use nicotine, this is what I will recommend is the Lucy products. If you enjoy using nicotine, you should definitely check out Lucy's products at lucy.co. That's lucy.co and use promo code JBLGB, JBLGB at checkout. Also, I have to read this disclaimer, warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Remember, if you're interested in a better way to use nicotine, 
visit lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code JBLGB. You, you mentioned a guy, Bruno, that sometimes uh, when we talk about great workers and great minds in the business kind of gets left out of discussion a lot because of his, his untimely death. And that, that's Eddie Gilbert. Eddie, Eddie was so bright to end the business. Yeah. And, and a lot of times overlooked. What 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 kind of relationship and what kind of experiences did you have with? with you know, me and Eddie were really good friends. And what I like about Eddie, anytime he had a problem with you, something you did or said or whatever, he didn't mind telling you. You know, and I didn't, and I respect that. I don't want Eddie to go, "Hey, hey, Gerald, that Bruno's an asshole." Whatever. No, I'd rather him come to me, Bruno. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Whatever. And he was very direct with that. And we were good friends that never stopped our friendship because sometimes just because we're good friends doesn't mean we agree on business. So he got mad at me when he took over the book in continental because uh, I gave my notice almost right away and went back called Laura. I'm ready to come back to Memphis. I can see the writing on the wall. Well, what, what it was, and it's nothing personal. It was business. Eddie brought Paul Heyman, in as his manager. Now, don't forget, I was Robert Fuller's manager, who was the booker. Robert was leaving. Eddie's the new booker. He brought Paul Heyman in to be his manager. Well, I, you don't have to be a geometry scientist to figure out <laughs> I'm not going to be the main manager anymore. It's a relatively small territory. There's probably not room for two managers. So I gave my notice. Well, Eddie took offense to that, and we didn't talk for a while. But then I was back in Memphis. And about a year later, Eddie gave up the book down there. I don't know what happened. But he came back to Memphis just to work. And first thing he did, we walked over to me. He says, I know we had problems in Alabama. I hope we put that past us. I said, oh, come on, man. We shook hands and hugged. And it was like nothing ever happened. <laughs> was that one of Heyman's first gigs down in Alabama? One of the first. I think his very first was uh, Tampa. He worked for the uh, Kevin Sullivan when he was booking down there. And I think he might have did some stuff up north in the smaller leagues or whatever. But uh, I think Alabama, I'm not sure if he was in Alabama first or went to AWA first. I'm not sure. But that was one of his early gigs, yes. Were you in Florida, uh, Jerry, at the time that Heyman was down there? I wasn't in Florida when uh, – when, uh, when, no, I, I wasn't here when uh, when Kevin was – that was uh, that was after the, the sale. So I, I, was, I was gone there. That was right after the sale, I believe. I was just wondering how Heyman got his start in the South. You know, he's being from the North. I know, I know he was in Atlanta for, for quite some time. I know that's, that's the first time I'd ever seen him when he had the danger zone and 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 on uh, WTBS. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that was after Tampa. I couldn't swear to it. I mean, he could have been down sure. here because, like I said, I was I was gone at the time and I was spending a lot of time in, in Connecticut back and forth and not, not really knowing on, not keeping up what was going on here in Florida. What I'm thinking, John, is that when he was doing the smaller uh, events for those promoters up north, he probably met Kevin Sullivan, who used yeah. to do those. You know, I, I'm thinking that's what happened. I don't know for sure, but I would assume that Kevin or somebody liked him and brought him down there. Well, how, how, did you, how did you get along with Paul? I mean, was was uh... right, at first we didn't because you know two separate managers, button heads. We're we're good friends now, but back then we're both the exact same age. We're both be 57 this year. Did he so pull both, a rib on you that went bad or, or something? Or did you pull a rib on him that went bad? Well, it wasn't so much the ribs. It was just that uh, 
He came to Memphis, and that's my backyard. That's my, that's that's my, my backyard. Place. That's my place. Every time a manager would come to Memphis, I did everything I could to scuttle them. And, and I ain't going to lie. It's true, you know. And he was a talking son of a gun. And he could, he could I talk the old school BS. He's more of an intelligent talking guy. You know what I mean? As far as, I mean, that's fine. But kind of like Layfield and myself here on this show. <laughs> which one's which, Jerry? <laughs> but, but the but the well, what was in Memphis, Paul wasn't a good worker, though. Not that I was a good worker, but I was a well, worker. It's kind of like this show here, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just like us. <laughs> yeah. But I would take bumps. Paul wouldn't take bumps. In Memphis, the manager's got to take bumps. And I was a good bumper, and I was never afraid to take a bump. As long as I was taking my own bump. I'm not letting nobody put me in no kind of move. Except Lawler, he could pile drive me every day, and I know he would never hurt me. But I'm not taking no double kamikaze backdrop, or whatever. I'm not going to do that. But I think that was no. Me and Paul didn't have any hatred, but we're just two young managers fighting for a spot, you know. And in Memphis, I got the spot, but in, in life, he got a much more of a push as a manager than me, and I have no problem with that. I have zero problem with that. I'm happy with my lot in life. Now during this time, Bruno, you were you were you were thinking, man, uh, you know, I can't stay in this business uh, forever. I can't be taking bumps. So you you were kind of making plans to kind of get on the on the other side of the camera and get back get back to to the administration part of it, right? Yeah, you know, I love being, being behind the scenes. You know, uh, a lot of guys start off in the business, running errands, going, getting food for people or whatever. They become a main event manager. I want the opposite route. (laughs) 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 Which I don't care. I'm fine with whatever. I don't care. I just, I have zero ego. I have zero ego in the business. None. So so during that time you were getting ready to do, then you got a phone call from, from, uh, from uh, up North there. And you, you were planning on just, just, just trying to go work, work in the office, sell tickets and then help promotion. And, and law, law or fire deer. What what was it? What was it? Yeah. What happened was they had Howard Finkel track me down. Cause like, again, we've said this a hundred times, we never go cell phones back then or nothing, you know, and Howard Finkel did everything he could to track me down. He found out we were in Tell City, Indiana that night, which is close to where Larry Bird's from. Just a little trivia statement, but whatever. Because uh, the Memphis Territory went up as far as southern Indiana. We come off that Evansville TV or that Louisville TV. So I was in the in the uh, ticket booth selling tickets. And the phone rang. And, uh, yes, may I speak to Bruno Lauer? Now, like, wait a minute. You're in a ticket booth and the phone rings in the ticket booth. It's Howard Finkel. Yeah. Wow. So there was a phone in there. You know, <laughs> people would, would call, you know, what time's the match is? Uh, you know, is, is Jerry Lawler going to be there tonight or how much is the ticket? You know, whatever. Right. So I have to answer the phone. And it was, this is how, you know, Howard had that real dramatic, you know, the way he talked, right? This is Howard Finkel from the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, we'd like to talk to Bruno Lauer. I was like, yeah, okay, that's good. Good one, dirty white boy. Clayton hung up the phone. You know, I, I didn't. You know, I thought it was dirty white boy or somebody messing with me. So he calls back. Um, I think we had a bad connection. This is. <laughs> I said, leave me alone. He's a quick time the phone lines. People are calling. I hung up. He called back. Getting us. If you don't believe me, here's the number to my office: two zero three whatever. 
Okay, we'll see. I hung up the effing phone and the ticket was wouldn't dial out. It was only income. <laughs> so I went to one of my ring crew guys. I said, do me a favor, sit in there and sell tickets, make change, answer the phone. I'm going to go to a pay phone. And I called. I went and got a bunch of quarters and stuff or whatever I did. And it was Howard. He says, are you interested in coming to Worcester, Massachusetts for a tryout with WWE? I said, I'll, to, I'll call you back uh, and let you know. I'll have to see. I've got obligations here, whatever. So I told Lawler when he got there, I said, WWE called me. Because, you know, it wasn't called E back then, but just for sake of discussion. WWE called me and wants me to come up for a tryout. But I don't think I'm going to go. I had to stay here and put up the ring. Who's going to put up the ring and sell tickets? What about my crew? He goes, you mean to tell me they want you to come to New York? You want to stay here and sell tickets and put up the ring with Big Fat Raymond and Chili Willie? Yeah. Chili Willie. <laughs> What's wrong with Big Fat Raymond? <laughs> and well, Chili Willie. Willie. <laughs> Somewhere Raymond would be still alive if he watched the show go, what, what? I thought we were tied. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, what, what am I going to do, King? Goes, well, you're fired. You're fired. I said, yeah, but what if I get up there and they don't hire me? He goes, I'll let you put in an application. <laughs> so I went up there and I've been there for 33 years. So I'm happy. Bruno, it's amazing how they get hold of you. I was working for Peter, uh, William and Otto Vots over in Europe. And you know, I was living there in a trailer. Trailer didn't have a bathroom, living behind the carnival tent. And somebody tells me, says, Hey, WWE is trying to get hold of you. I said, really? I had, you know, way before cell phones, I had no bathroom in my trailer, much less <laughs> not a phone. So right. I said, well, what do they want to do? They said, they want to talk to you. They're going to meet you at a payphone down the street at three o'clock on Sunday afternoon or whatever time it was. Right. So I get up on Sunday afternoon. It's raining with true story. Not that it matters, but it, it is helps the story. So I find an umbrella and I go down there and I'm standing by this payphone and I'm thinking, somebody's filming me because I'm the biggest dumbass in the world believing WWE <laughs> called me on a payphone. No, I'm sitting there, and then the I'm, I'm berating myself about how stupid I am for falling for this. The phone rings. I go, you got to be kidding me. I said, all right. I think it's like Finley or somebody. I picked right. uh, John, Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> sure. <laughs> then it, right. Him and Pat, and finally they convinced me the same way, and I – how they track you down is quite amazing. It, it really is. So we have the same story, basically, just a different part of the world. <laughs> That's right. You just, you're sitting there going, come on, come on. You're calling me on a payphone in the middle of Bremen, Germany, <laughs> on right. a Sunday afternoon in the pouring rain. A payphone. You're calling me on a payphone, a public payphone. Right. But I did somehow. Isn't, yeah. Isn't that, look at us now. <laughs> old, old legends, you know. <laughs> so when you went into WWE, what what was the well, first year? What year was it that you went in WWE? I'm the world's worst at that. I think it was '89, but I, somebody will probably correct me. I I think it was '89, maybe '90. So they probably about WrestleMania six, seven, somewhere around like that, right? Yeah, because I remember it was either seven or eight that I managed to see it against Hogan. Right. I'm the world's worst at that. I was I didn't mean to cover my face. So it was either seven or eight. I'm like I said, I. I'm bad about that. And were you, know, you a just, Sid right? Were you a Sid right away? No, they put me with a guy who's no longer with us. Bless his heart, uh, Nick Busnick, Big Bully Busnick. Sure, nice guy. Just just yeah. didn't uh, pan out. 
out, basically, as far as in the ring. Um, that's what they put me with initially. He, he had ever looked that you could possibly have, John, as one of these old-school-looking guys. I mean, yeah. he, he looked like one of these Boston bruisers, you know, guys from the from – right. From the whatever side, east side of Boston, that was just big and burly, and that, right. that was basically his gimmick. But yeah, through all that look and everything, he just couldn't. He just didn't have the aptitude quite for for our business there. And, and right, it was no fault of his. You know, he was asked to do something that was completely foreign to, to his style of work and all. Right, he was a bruiser. He was expected to work a little bit, and he just he just couldn't put two and two together once in that stuff. Right. And that's it's a shame because even like he wasn't, God bless him, he passed away now. Very nice guy, super guy. Uh, but he just, yeah, it didn't click. So then they put me with Warlord after that. And then when Sid switched uh, to be a villain, then they put me with Sid, which was great. So I was with Sid from that run. And then uh, after Sid came uh, Kamala. And after Kamala came uh, George Gonzalez. And I was with him for his entire run with WWE. So you became Harvey Whooperman there by mistake, right? By Gene Oak. And right. Uh, tell us, tell us how that, that became to be. They would have called me Harvey Whipple. And, and then, now, is this where you were the, the still in the, in the, uh, he, we, uh, Herman, uh, uh, yeah. Type, uh, yeah. Era? yeah. The seersucker suit with the, with the, Bow tie and all that. Because that's right when Pee Wee Herman got caught doing his dirty <laughs> deeds, you know. So they thought that would be a good. But I said to myself, of course they wonder. did. I don't want to be known as a one-hit wonder. I want to, you know. Damn, Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, Bruce Pritchard comes up with the right, just the right nick of time. Huh? Right. I guarantee that was Bruce Pritchard. He invented Pee Wee Herman. Could have been. <laughs> so I did it for a while. And they let me just, I wish that it just let me be downtown Bruno, but, the, but. They didn't want it because Bruno San Martino's the big legend up there. And Bruno's my real name, you know, so they couldn't uh, copyright it either. Maybe the downtown part, but not Bruno. They couldn't. How could they? You know, so I don't care. Like I said, as long as it says Bruno on my paycheck, they come whatever they want. And, uh, yeah, so Busnick was a nice guy. Just didn't didn't have it. Didn't have it. So what, what happened with Sid? I mean, you know, Sid had a great run. Uh, I think a Hall of Fame run, um, but you know he he was going to be the guy, and then something kind of got pulled. The rug got pulled out from under him. What what happened? You know, I I swear to God, I wish you could tell me because I'm telling you, we were in in uh, Boston at the old Boston Garden, and he had to work with Ultimate Warrior, and you know Warrior couldn't work. I, I'm probably a better worker than him. Let's be honest. You know what? I'm the shits. <laughs> but he had that look and that intensity. So, you're, so that, what you're saying is, this is a Dutch Mantel saying, if he was better, he'd be the shits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So for some reason, Sid got upset. and said, I'm going home. I'm leaving. And you're coming with me. You're coming with me. And I didn't know what to, to do. So I said, you're coming with me. We're leaving. You can call Vince McMahon tomorrow and tell him, thank you for everything, but you're done. I don't understand why he was so upset. Then George Steele, who's a you say they say if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say nothing. So George Steele. Because there's <laughs> you liked him that much, huh? <laughs> I couldn't invent something good to say about him. I really couldn't. But anyway, I'm calling Vince 
There's no pay phones, and, you know. I mean, no cell phones. Then again, I'm calling Vince with a phone card or whatever, and tell him, you know, what's going on. There's George Steele standing there trying to listen to the conversation, and I shut the damn door on the phone booth. You know the old phone booths, you know. And he got so mad and upset and everything. But Vincent, do you work for Sid Udi or do you work for me? I said I work for you. He goes, I expect to see you in Niagara Falls tomorrow, and that. That was it. And I've been there the whole time, you know, and I don't know what happened. Sid ended up coming back and me and Sid, you know, we fell out for a while because I wouldn't leave. But but that, but that was what killed his, that, that monster push he was getting. I, I, in my opinion, yes. I always I wondered, it. you know, because they, they were putting the whole everything on him. You know, yeah. I remember looking out the, the curtain, you know, when he had that uh, referee top on that was a tank top, you know, you're right. like, good God, man, this guy's a, different specimen than the rest of us. Yeah. I don't know what happened. And Sid has been very good to me. He helped me very much get my opportunity with WWE. So I owe him a lot too. I don't understand what happened. And me and him have always stood in touch and became good friends over the years. Very good. But for some reason, I haven't heard from him in like two years now. I don't know what it, I mean, there's nothing I did or anything, you know, obviously, but I don't know. I don't know what he's doing in his well, world, you got, if you got him in the business, then he, he kind of returned the favor by, by right. you in New York, though. And then then that he was he he was he was really going through that psycho stage at that time too. When I mean it, his temperament, uh, he would get those right. ages, and and he would get them get them in the building sometime. And I, I happened to see one in Gainesville, Florida, one time, and it scared the shit out of me. Tell you too. Yeah, he was a guy. Temperamental fella, yeah. So yeah, he I mean, started. He started yelling at uh, at uh, at uh, at uh, uh, Joe Scarpa one night in, in Gainesville. Man, I, th- I thought he was going to kill Scarpa. And I, I actually, for one time, felt sorry for him. And uh, right <laughs> now, that's a story. That's uh, a yeah, guy you you a you got about. a great story with Owen Hart and and, and Joe. Uh, you were there, right? Uh, we've I heard this story second hand, third hand, fourth hand. Let's hear it from somebody. This there. is one yeah. of the greatest stories. In the history of stories. Yes. We were, I was there. Yeah. Owen Hart was a baby face, and he was looking out at the crowd. I don't even remember who he was working with. But he started clapping his hands and all that. So Strombo said, and for the people that are listening, Joe Scarpa is Jay Strombo. Um, so anyway, after the match, uh, Strombo said, Owen, uh, you know how he talks, right? Uh, Owen, uh, true or false, if you were in a street fight, would you not look at the people? Why would you look? You wouldn't look at the people and look at them and clap your hands and stomp your feet, would you, Owen? No, Chief, I wouldn't. I'd probably break into an Indian war dance. <laughs> 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 well, what was Carpo's reaction? <laughs> it's the first time I ever seen him speechless. He shook his head, put his, you know, he always had that paper, you know, folded up and he put it in his back pocket and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was. I've seen some of the funny things with those agents. Like uh, the, dress, the dress, dressing room probably popped and fell off their seats when, when. Oh, they, they did. They got him. Yeah. What about when uh, Matt Bourne started as Doink and it had him coming through the audience and uh, the people tripped him and he fell down the steps and he dropped his squirt gun or whatever. And Renee Goulet was on the walkie-talkie. Send some help. The clown is down. The clown, the clown is, is down. down. <laughs> I was there for that too. <laughs> Renee Galay, we didn't hardly ever talk about it. He was awesome. He was funny. 
Oh, yeah, I liked the hell out of him. God bless. He lived to like 90 years old, you know. But Rene Gallet, they, <laughs> they go to, they go to uh, Italy one time. And I wasn't on the tour, but they told me because we went there later and went to visit the Vatican. So Rene Gouillet goes into the Vatican and he's looking around, you know, and he's and he asked the boys, he goes, So is this where they had the fucking Pope? <laughs> <laughs> and there's all these people in there. This is the most holy place they know. And they're like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> You know, his real name was Robert Bedard. He was, we were in Europe one time doing the tour. We were all trying to get on a plane and check in and check in. Renee goes, no, we check in as group. We know nobody get in front of nobody. We check in as group. We check in as group. Nobody get in front of nobody. And then the lady at the counter goes, oh, no, sir. We can check in individually. He goes, okay, Bedard. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Ron Simmons used to do this blind thing. You may have seen it before with Teddy Long. Teddy Long would walk him down the the aisle and Ron would wear dark sunglasses like he was blind. I mean, and he looked like he he, he had it down to perfection. And so Teddy and him could board early. They always get first class seats and they'd go and we'd we'd be stooging him off. He's perfectly fine. That's Ron Simmons. He's a three time All American. He can see. And Ron would just look around like he couldn't see. <laughs> it was great. Hey, Bruno, how about the time you got arrested for uh, pulling a U-turn and pulling out your badge? Yeah. The, the police officer thinks it's a fake badge. Oh, my God. I'll never forget it. It was And this guy was a real prick. I'll tell you that. What happened was, okay, in DeSoto County, Mississippi, where I'm, my home is, the sheriff was James Albert Riley. He would give special deputy badges to people that helped his campaign. And it was in the books, listed in the books as special deputy, Bruno Lauer, special deputy, John Layfield, if you were that, whatever. Okay, so when Riley lost the election, the new sheriff wasn't going to honor those guys because we were obviously helping his opponent. So the mayor of Crenshaw, Mississippi, Oscar Barlow, which is in uh, Panola County, he says, well, Bruno, I heard about losing your badge, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a special uh, police officer for Crenshaw, Mississippi. You know, just, no problem. Come on down. And he gave me the ID, he gave me the badge, the whole bit. So what he neglected to do was tell the police chief that worked for him that he put me on the roster. So I got pulled over for the U-turn up in Fairborn, Ohio, just outside of Dayton, where the Nutter Center is. And it's like at 6 o'clock. I remember the day well. Yeah. Oh, you were there? Oh yeah. Okay. So I, I wasn't I, with you. I wasn't with you. I, but yeah, yeah. I was there at TV. I that mean, day. you were at the arena, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the cop pulls me over, and every time I've ever got pulled over for a ticket or whatever, I'd show the badge. They would always call it in, and it would always, yes, he's a special deputy. Blah blah blah. Okay, let me go. Never had a ticket. Never had a problem. This guy comes back and says, um, "Well, I just called Crenshaw." I spoke to the police, the chief of police. He never heard of you. And I'm, I looked up at him, and I'm waiting for him to laugh or something, you know, and give it back. He goes, take the keys out of the ignition, sit them on the dashboard, and step out of the car. And I'm thinking, this, this guy's not effing with me. He's being serious. So I get out of the car, and he goes, 
place your hands on top of your head, turn, whatever. I said, what the? Oh, my God. He goes, uh, you're being charged with a impersonation of a public official, uh, like all these charges, whatever. I can't remember. I thought, what the hell? This guy was a real jerk anyway. I said, just call the mayor. Call the mayor. It's been a mistake. Call the mayor. Finally, what happened was I'm in jail. They didn't take me to the jail yet. I was in the police station, like a little holding room. I couldn't hear nothing, but I could see the cop in there on the internet, on the computer, on the phone, whatever. Then he looked up at me and like back and forth. Okay, I guess what happened was the chief of police called the mayor and said, what happened? And the mayor called up there and said, hey, no, whatever. The cop came back and said, well, we'll just talk to the mayor. Um, yeah, he said that he neglected to tell the chief, blah, blah, blah. I thought, okay, he's going to let me go. He goes, well, we're going to take you and get you dressed out and take you to the uh, 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 Green County Jail. I said, well, the mayor just told you. He goes, it don't matter. You impersonated a police officer. I said, he just told you I was Now, here's where the guy was a prick. And, and all these Ohio people were working together. They didn't give a damn about a guy from the city. Because think about this. And my lawyer that got me out of it explained, and then the municipal attorney from Crenshaw got involved too. Here's the thing. Impersonating a police officer would have meant that I was directing traffic or you know trying to arrest somebody or had blue lights on my car. Nothing of the sort. Now, this cop says, well, we don't have reserve and, and honor, honorary deputies and police officers in Ohio. That's fine. We do in Mississippi. I was representing myself as a uh, reserve officer in the state of Mississippi, which I was. And the mayor and the municipal attorney confirmed it. They didn't care. I had to pay bond. I had to come back for court. I had to come back for trial. So when it came down to it, I had to plead guilty to disorderly conduct, even though I did nothing disorderly. I didn't yell, scream, throw nothing. And my my attorney told me, and he was an Ohio guy, of course, he was up there. I had to pay him five grand. Um, he, he told me, he goes, the reason they're making you plead guilty to something because if you were let off and everything, you could sue them. He goes, now you can't sue them because you were arrested and you pleaded guilty. I said, Jesus Christ, let's just get it over with. But I mean, the whole deal, he should have let me go the minute the mayor confirmed it. And oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and just so, when, when did you uh, make the phone call to WWE that you were in jail? <laughs> well, see, they wouldn't even let me make a phone call. They said, you know, we don't have to make, let you make a phone call. And then here's the thing, too. You know, uh, when they finally make the phone call, the only number I had memorized was my home number. So I called my wife at the time, you know, and had her call Lombardi because she had his number. You know, we're all good friends. And he and he's the one that got the ball rolling for me. But here's the thing, too. Other than my mom and dad who are both passed away now, but I remember my childhood phone number up there just outside of West Virginia near Pittsburgh. I remember that number to the day I died. Other than that, I don't remember anybody's phone number. Because you know what? Nowadays, you pick up yourself, I'm going to call John. Hey, Bradshaw, how you doing, man? If somebody told me right now to call you, I'd say, let me go get my, let me look it up. I couldn't. So when you're in jail now, you don't have nobody's number memorized. You know, I have the pizza place in Walls memorized. Maybe call this Bruno. Remember me? I used to get pizza. Do me a favor, call somebody, get me out of jail. I'm in Ohio. <laughs> so it was just. Hey, I, I want to ask you, I want to ask you about walls. Because I heard Jim Cornette when he was asking about you, he had very, very nice things to say about you, seriously. But then oh, I know I love Cornette. 
Well, he said, what about walls? He said, walls is so small when you stick your key into a hotel door, you break the window. Yeah, I, I, I read. Is, I, is I, that I, true? That's yeah, a small town. But yeah. Oh, I read. I heard that. Cornette's a great guy. It's hysterical. It's funny. I love uh, Jim. Jimmy's awesome. We, I, I love Jimmy. So does Jerry. We, we, we yeah, can't wait to him on our show. Please tell him. I love him. I'm, I'm crazy about Cornette. We're we're dying to tell him that. Uh, you, when 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 uh, your career in Memphis did it coincide with Cornette in any way? Was he just a photographer? Was he hanging around during that time? What, no, he was already gone to work for either the Crockett's or Bill Watts. Oh, he had already made there. it. He had already yeah. made it and left. Yeah, yeah. How did you come become such good friends with uh, the Brooklyn Brawler? Well, we were. Uh, he was the. Uh, Beekeeper, you know what they call with Kamala, you know, kimchi, with right? Yeah, kimchi, yeah, kimchi, yeah, oh, yeah. But our little joke is beekeeper. You know, say a beekeeper yeah. outfit, yeah. And we traveled together because Kamala didn't drive. So me and Steve and uh, Kamala always traveled together. We just got to be good friends, you know. And uh, to this day, we talk probably three times a week. To this day, I saw him the other day. He looks he looks better now than he looked when in the nineties. Yeah, and he's like sixty two now or something. Yeah, he looks great. He looks great. He's, he, I haven't seen him in person, but we do the video talk sometimes. Yeah, he looks great. Yeah, when well, I saw him some stories about Kamala, I mean, he was he was such an interesting guy, James uh, James Harris there. And, and uh, yeah, it's hard to. I'll just be honest with you, Jerry. I, I, it'd be hard for me to tell stories about Kamala that wouldn't be controversial. To be honest, you know, yeah. I can best say, I'm sorry that he lost his legs due to diabetes. And I'm sorry that he lost his life. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Well, let's let's jump on to John Gonzalez. I know you got some great stories about him. What what a freak of a man! I I actually never got to meet John Gonzalez. Oh, really? Never never saw him in live, and I always wanted. And I was always so upset that WWE and WWF at the time dressed him in that hokey outfit. I mean, I right. that was really took away from him. <laughs> well, let me tell you a funny story. And I'll tell you about him. That outfit y'all were talking about. One night we were all in a, like in Canada. Jack Tunney would get a van. We'd all go from the arena to the wherever in his van. So Jim Duggan, me, Gonzalez, Lombardi, and somebody else were in the van. And it's up in Canada, like. Uh, Nova Scotia or something. And, and uh, Duggan says, hey, driver, pull the van over. Let's send the giant up in the woods. And when a car comes, let's let him come running out. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine some Canadian guy? I said, Bigfoot, man, that squatch is loose. <laughs> yeah, I said, don't do that. One of these some bitches is going to have a freaking 30 out six. That'll be it. <laughs> Can you imagine an eight foot tall guy with that furry outfit on top of And what was Gonzalez in for that? Was he was he pretty uh, fun to be around? Was he a fun guy? Oh, yeah. was he, uh, great guy. Great guy. He was a young guy too, right? When, when you had Yeah, it was like three years younger than me. So if he was still living, he'd be like 53 or 54 now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I was crazy about him. He was high maintenance. I ain't gonna lie, he was high maintenance, but not in a pricky way. Just he was a giant, you know. It it wake me up like midnight. Bruno, I'm hungry. The room service closed. Will you go, please get me food? Find 24 hour place. What do you want? Eight, eight hamburgers. <laughs> and so I got where I wouldn't drink anymore on the road because I don't want to be get a DUI getting a giant eight hamburgers. So yeah, he, yeah, he was, be good be drunk. What are you doing with eight hamburgers? You're 135 pounds a cup. I'm getting <laughs> for an eight to a giant to eat. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they wouldn't have believed that. I'm getting for an eight-foot-tall guy. Yeah. Oh, you really are effed up. Come with us. Hey, Bruno, one time we're, we're playing golf on a day off at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And uh-huh. I, I hit a ball into another fairway, and these two guys who are obviously locals come up, and they're grappling at me. I don't know why they're grappling. I didn't mean to hit a ball in their fairway. Anyway, I try to buy them a drink. They, they get pissed off. But I said, guys, just kiss my ass. And so I go to walk to the green. Well, Big Show is on the green but he's just around some bushes and these guys are two older, small guys. I'm not a sm- I'm younger and a lot bigger at that time myself, but big show. hears it. Thinks I'm in a fight. He comes crashing through the bushes with a putter in his hand. looked like a toothpick. And wow. these two guys looked at him and just drove off the course. I and I always thought, who are they going to tell the story to that? Some <laughs> seven foot tall, 400 pound man came crashing through the bushes. <laughs> right. Right. He's another great guy. I'm, I'm crazy about oh, him. He's the best. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, a lot of people ask me, and I don't, like I said, I was telling you and I was telling Gerald too, I don't want to get into any negatives because why Why even put people over that, you know, that are jerks? But I got to say this I said on every podcast I do, every interview I do, everybody I talk to, God rest his soul. He's not with us anymore. God bless him. There's no bigger jerk I ever met than Vader. Really? Yeah. Tell us the story. We were in the old arena in Fresno, California for a Royal Rumble years and years ago. That's back when 900 numbers was the thing. And Jim Ross, and it wasn't even my job, but Jim Ross, you know, he asked me to do something, I'm going to do it. He goes, Bruno, go get Leon. Have him come in and do a 900 number uh, interview. I went to Leon. Jim Ross wants you to do a 900 number interview. I ain't doing shit. Leave me alone. I don't want to. Ah. So I went to Jim Ross and I, and I says, uh, I told him what he what he said. Whatever. Jerry, you were involved in it. You don't remember this, but I bet this will remind you. Later that night, you, Jim Ross, and Vader were standing together in the congregation area in the arena. And Jim says, Bruno, come here. Vader just told us you never even approached him, let alone uh, asked him to do the interview. You made all that up. And Vader stood right there in front of Jared Briscoe and Jim Ross and said, I swear on my son's life, Bruno never walked up to me. I said, you fat, talentless piece of shit. I said, how can you stand there and lie like that? I shook my head and walked off. I'll never forgive him for that. That was just, he was making me like I was a compulsive liar. Why would I lie to Jim Ross that way? Do you remember that one, Gerald? Yeah, well, when you when you brought that up, when you said the nine hundred numbers, that that, that clicked on. I remember that. I remember yep. him being a prick of that night about it. I'll never forgive him for that. I mean, God bless his soul. 
I don't wish him dead. I'm not happy he's dead. I, 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 don't, I don't want anybody to take that the wrong way. But I'm always the type of person that feels if somebody was wrong when they were alive, they don't become absolved when they die. Because that was true. We'd be sitting here talking about how good Hitler was. He made the trains run on time. You know, come on. Yeah. You know, Bruno, I agree Bruno, when when uh, here here's a young man I read read or, or, or listened to you one one of your big thrills here here's a young kid uh, five foot six five foot seven one hundred thirty five pound and Hulk Hogan takes a bump for you in your hometown I mean, yes and uh, he forever won won the good graces of Bruno Lauer that you ain't lying oh I love Hogan I mean even before that I loved him he was in the night when I first came to WWE. He was the first one to reach out, shake my hand, say, welcome aboard. He knew who I was. He goes, downtown Bruno. He goes, I want you to give the king a hard time for a lot of years. He goes, it's my turn now, huh? I said, I hope so, sir. He goes, not sir, Terry. He shook my hand. I mean, just great guy. Great. Well, tell, us, tell us about the bump. Set that up for us. You know, we were in Memphis, and he was working with, I don't remember if it was Kamala or Sid. I can't remember, to be honest, with who he was working with. But he was, and he rolled out of the ring. He goes, Hit me, man. It's your hometown. And I clocked him, and he took a bump like I was Mike Tyson. I was like, oh, my God. So next night, we were in Oakland, California. He rolled out and clocked me. He goes, we're not in Memphis anymore, man. <laughs> That's awesome. One, one bump. That's it, man. <laughs> yeah, what a great guy. I'll never forget that. That was just wonderful. Wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. Hey, Bruno, I want to I say, and I'm not going to disagree with you at all about, uh, about later, but I, I want to say, because my his last match in WWE in a pay per view, he asked to put me over. So I've seen Vader be very unkind to some people, but he was just ter terrific to me personally. So That's maybe he changed. Maybe he changed. Maybe he would. Well, I, I don't know. I, and I, I'm not like I saw him be very unkind to some people, but just out of respect of what he did for me, I have to tell tell a good point about him. Because what he did for me was was really one of the nicest yeah. things anybody ever did for me. And it was very right. respectful. And he always treated me just fantastic, even though I, I know there's a different side to, right. to, our, to our friend Leon. Oh, I know what you're hey, – and I'm going to tell you this. And you and me are good friends. I always have been. And I, I'm the type, hey, if you like him and I don't, it doesn't justify no, not, our friendship. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing at all. I've seen him, I've seen him be uh, – not very right. nice to, to, to some right. people. Well, Bruno, right. I can back you up on that because when you mentioned that 900 number and you started telling that story, it started flashing to me. And I, I remember, you know, him, him saying that to, to us that you didn't approach him there. So I can back your story up there. And, uh, you know, uh, Leon had the issues that, you know, that that we all don't don't know about. And uh, the guy, guy, guy had his fault, but overall, Leon, Leon was a pro, you know, Hundred percent. Well, you know, you know what always gets me though when people say he was the best big man in the business. I said, well, I guess y'all never seen Bam Bam Bigelow. I guess y'all never seen Crusher Blackwell. I guess y'all never seen King Kong Bundy. That's what I say to people because I think I think Bam Bam was the best Bam, big Bam, man. Bam, ever. Bam 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 will rate you right there with with all of them. But what 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 a thrill it must have been for you. And I, I've read where where you said too. You know whether there's ninety people or ninety thousand, and there you're going to work the same way. But it had to be a thrill. Here's this young man, and all of a sudden you're standing on the biggest stage of them all against the biggest legend of them all, the Undertaker. That yeah. had to be a thrill. I don't care how how you put it. That had to be a thrill for a young man like that. Oh, absolutely. 
And Undertaker, what a, I, I got a little trivia thing for you, too. This is on YouTube. Undertaker's last match he ever had before he became Undertaker was in Memphis against Bill Dundee. And I managed Mean Mark that night in Memphis. It's on the YouTube. I got, I got to save on my iPad. And uh, that was his. Then he went and became the tremendous guy he was. Now, when I talk about the great big man, I was talking about the Bam Bam and, and you know, Bundy-looking guys, Vader-looking guys. Yeah. As far as the big Sid-looking guys, Undertaker-looking guys, whatever, it'd be very hard to compare anybody to Undertaker. As so far you, as you went man. way, 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 way back with, with Mar- May Mark. And- yeah, because he was in Memphis, you know, and, uh, and uh, I was never his manager his first run. It was Ronnie Gossett. And then his second run, I believe, was Dutch Mantell. But that short run when he came back, they put me with him. It was just like a one or two night thing. I was with him. I, I'm not going to sit here. I was his manager. No, one or two nights. But still, it was a thrill and an honor and a privilege to be able to say that I got to be at the ring with him. And just one of the nicest, most down-to-earth, super guys. I've never heard anybody saying bad about him. There's very few people in the business that nobody's ever said nothing bad about. And he's one of them. Yeah, it's amazing. Everybody who met him says says the same thing. He's just a guy full of respect. You know, he he's the one that got the, the you know, you can talk about the the Andre chair, you know, on the bus. You know, then it was the Yoko chair and the, and the Undertaker chair. You know, it was it was a matter of respect. You know, he got that middle chair in the back with the extra leg room. But right, how much everybody thought of him. You know, it just there was no doubt who went in that chair. It was it was the Undertaker. Right, right, yeah, and that's a level of respect that it's just you know. I always said he wasn't locker room leader because he was designated the locker room leader. It's because he was the one that should have been, <laughs> you know, he was well, true. Well, I'm going to tell you something. And I bet you'll agree with me on this. Anybody. I'm not going to mention any names. We can all surmise. Anybody that has to call themselves a locker room leader is not a locker room leader. You know, when I hear guys, well, you know, I'm kind of a locker room leader. Nobody that really is a locker room leader ever has to say it. It's unsaid. You know that. I've heard several guys call themselves that, which means they ain't. You know, does that make sense? No, no, it makes sense. There was only one during our time, and we all knew who the hell it was. And it Everybody was, knew who yeah, it was. It was there, was, there was no, well, no well, maybe it's so-and-so, maybe it's so-and-so. It, no, no, it was 100% There might, have, there might have been some lieutenants and some sergeants, but there was only one leader. <laughs> you talking about Andre? Oh, that was a dead man. Take oh, I thought, you meant, you, I thought you meant back when you were still wrestling. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, well, back, yeah. back when I was wrestling, you know, Andre would come in, but when they won, Andre was in your territory. He was the man, you know. But right, yeah, right. He was only there usually for one or two weeks. So oh, I got you. How was, uh, how was Undertaker working with – I know how the matches were. You know, Undertaker could do anything, and they made him to put out put him out there with some guys that, that couldn't work. But Giant Gonzalez and Undertaker, I mean, Taker just, he did everything he could to try to make that big man. Yeah. I mean, there's an old saying, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. There's no formula for it. And like I said, Gonzalez was a great guy. I love him, loved him. And, I, you know, I pray for it. But as far as, I'd be a lying son of a gun if I said it. So he was a good worker because he wasn't. He wasn't. He couldn't work any better than that. A guy that was a paraplegic, you know, he was just, <laughs> which he wasn't far from it, you know. Um, poor guy, yeah. 
I felt sorry for Undertaker. I really did because Georges couldn't couldn't work. Couldn't work. No, he couldn't he work was, at all. And Taker was all hat, no horse. Taker was such a good worker. He would get put out there with anybody and go, oh, it's Taker. He'll make it work. And most right. of the time he did. Right. <laughs> yeah. Some guys you just can't, like I said, that there's no formula for it. He just didn't hit two left feet and all thumbs. It's hard. When, when you saw him, I mean, when you were with him, I know he was, he was, he was, he was injured. At good, was he in pain a lot? I mean, his feet and his ankles and his knees. And constantly. His yeah. Constantly. Poor guy. I mean, he was a prince of a guy. And I felt so sorry for him. He really, he suffered. Was he a fun guy to be with when he was a drinking guy and stuff like that? No, he didn't drink because he was severely diabetic. Uh He didn't drink nothing. You know, ate a bunch of hamburgers. Yeah, ate a bunch of hamburgers (laughs) and, 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 you know, whatever. But yeah, great. And Diet Coke. He smoked the hell out of them Marlboro lights now. But, uh, no, he didn't drink, but day was fun though. We always got along. We never had one uh, bad moment. Never. Hey, the other person you liked an awful lot that you know was a uh, big character was a uh, Bertha, right? <laughs> oh, I think we're gonna have to end this one. I'm tired. God bless her too, because she's gone. I can't. God. I'm sorry, Bruno. My partner gets carried I'm not going to stick up for her. I, st- I stuck up for Vader a little bit. I, I, I worked yeah. up for her. You know what? I, I just hope she's in a better place. And I'm sorry that whatever demons were inside of her caused her to kill herself. And I, I mean that with all my heart. I mean, and I want, I hope everybody, because you know how the people start tapping away. I want everybody to know this. Just because I didn't like Vader, just because I didn't like Bertha Faye, I certainly don't wish them dead. I'm certainly not happy that they're dead, and we just didn't get along when they were on this side of the of the dirt, you know. And and that's I hope. And that, that's, a mis- that's a miserable place to be when you're on the road with somebody, and we we've all been there. When when you're when, when you're you're stuck with somebody that you you just don't have anything in common with, right? Right, it's a, it's a miserable road trip right. at the time. Exactly, and uh, so I can't stress enough. God bless both of them. I really mean that. I mean that from my heart and soul. I, I wish they were still on this planet, both of them. And you know what would be even better if they were here? Maybe we can make friends. Maybe we can talk about it. I can say, Leon, let's talk. Let me tell you what you did to upset me, Bertha Faye. Let me talk. Whatever. You know, I don't. And Bruno, I got to give it to. I've seen you diffuse a, a situation backstage. I mean, you know, there's a lot of pressure. What you were doing, you know, trying to satisfy all these superstars backstage in a timely fashion. Right. Sometimes right. somebody would think they were a little bit more urgent than somebody else. Right. They would get on you, and and and, and that calm demeanor. He's just like you said with Vader. You'd say, "Come here, let's talk about this stuff," and let's. And then, then, then you would defuse it. You were a hell of a politician backstage, too, man. Well, I appreciate it. I tried to. You know, like I said, if Vader was still living and I was on some sort of one of those autograph deals or whatever with him, I, I really would. I would call him to the side, and I, I would really try, try to talk to him because I don't want to hold grudges forever. You know, like another guy, Gene Anderson, that is dead for many years. Another guy, Bulldog Bob Brown, is dead for many years. Now, I promise you, it would be very hard for me to try to talk to Gene Anderson if he was still alive, because what he did to me is unforgivable. 
Bulldog Bob Brown has lied to get himself out of heat with Bob Geigel over something. And I don't justify it, but it explains it. You know, what Gene Anderson did to me, I'll, I'll never be able to forgive him for it. He humiliated me when I was brand new to the business, and I'll never forget that. And it just, he, he tried to break my spirit. But it, you, you've shared the story with me, and do you mind if I, if I kind of kind of open well, it up? To, well, I'll I, go ahead and tell that. So just, go ahead, Brian. Yeah. It's your, your story, and, uh, and you, well, you, you, can, you can tell us your way. Well, basically what it was, I was pretty new to the business, little guy, you know, as I am, especially back then. Instead of finding out who I was or asking me, you know, what I was doing in the dressing room or whatever, I would have told him, I work for Bob Goggle. I'm with the ring crew. I'm a referee. Whatever. He just took my the hammer lock, put my arm behind my back and grabbed me and walked me out of the dressing room in front of the whole crew. You don't belong back here. You don't want twitching like he used to do and everything. Just humiliating and Rufus R. Jones and them uh, told him, no, he works for us. He, he's, part, he's part of the company. That, so then I came back in. He didn't apologize. He didn't laugh about it. Nothing. Just sit there with that cocky look on his face with that, you know, the twitch he did. And I'm, I'm, I just, I'll never forgive him for it. I'll never well, forgive like, him. Like John did Vader. Gene, Gene was a, a very good friend of mine. And, and, uh, and, uh, and there had to be issues that night. That night with with something uh, bugging Gene because Gene was Gene was a pretty respectful guy when I was around him, and and uh, and I always always admired him greatly. And uh, when you told me that, 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 that just seemed so out of character. And it's not that I doubt your word, and I don't one bit, right. but it's just out of character for somebody. For what you said about Leon, that that wasn't out of character for right. you. Know, <laughs> no, Leon was no it wasn't. Guy. And I'm not saying it was. I'm saying that. You know, Leon was great to me, and I saw his bad side. You know, but Black Bart used to always say when I would see him, you know, I can only go by how guys treated me, you know, not how they treated somebody else. You know, that's, well, that's good. And, yeah. and, and that's what we're all saying. You know, he treated you terrible, uh, and that's that's how you, the memory you have, and he treated Jerry well. That's the memory he has. You know, same person. Everybody's right. got different facets, you know, the same person, and sometimes it just impressions uh, are both are both correct. Sometimes right. they're diametrically opposing what they look like. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And, and you know, and, and I, I'm with Jerry on that. If he was always good friends with Jerry and good to him, I don't hold that against Jerry. Jerry's one of my closest friends in the business. Just, I can tell you, Jerry's treated me terrible over the years. Well, he told me he don't particularly like you. <laughs> that's Thank you, that's the reason. <laughs> Thank you for opening up that uh, truth there. We, yeah, <laughs> this is a come to the truth night here. You know, we cannot tell hey, a lot. Hey, Bruno, I, heard, I, I read a great story in your book. I think it was in your book. It was an excerpt from your book uh, about Shawn Michaels sticking up for you one time in the dressing room. Uh, I'll never forget that. That's a, pretty cool, that's a pretty cool story because, you know, Sean, Sean was always great to me. He, during, the, during the attitude era, you know, I know there were some issues with some people. He right. was terrific to me. Always, yeah. always respectful, always nice. Never said, a, I have nothing but nice things to say about Sean from then till now. But Me too. Me Sean too. back then was the one that people kind of took shots at, but he did something really cool for you. Yeah, what happened was, as you know, if you were there, Jerry was there, either one of them, Bruno, would you go get me a hamburger or whatever? You know, I wouldn't even blink an eye. I said, sure, what do you want on it? You know, Jerry, what do you want? Okay. But that guy, Oscar, who was never in our business, if you remember, he was the manager for Mo and Mabel that met on a mission. Oh, he was just a guy that was a rapper guy that, that 
you know, man on a mission, number one, whatever, you know, they brought him in. So I came in with a box of food. Here, Razor Ramon, here's your, I don't remember what it was, for example, hamburgers. Here, Razor, here's your hamburger. Here's Sean, here's yours. Here, uh, whoever, you know. And then Oscar goes, where's mine? I need you to go get me one. How come you didn't give me one? And before I could even respond or even formulate a response, boy, Sean Michaels got up, let him have it. This guy's been in the business 15 years, whatever it was. You know, he's been all over the world. He's been all over every territory in the country. Who the hell are you to ask him to get you a hamburger? Get your shit. Get out of the dressing room. You didn't belong in this dressing room. Without, I mean, he just he, unprovoked. I didn't ask Sean to, you know, do that or whatever. Just, wow. It's just, I never forgot that. That's pretty Something cool. Like that is just, yeah. I never forgot that there's. And Sean just sat right back down and started eating his hamburger and didn't say a word. And he. That's it. That was it. He didn't say, did that for you, Bruno? Nothing like that. It was, it was unsaid, you know, it, just, it meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to me. There's a lot of guys. That just shows you the respect, Bruno, that you had from everybody at, at every position on, on, in that locker room. And you don't get that by just being a, being a good guy. You get it by earning it and showing, showing that you, you deserve that respect. And you did. Well, you know what? Coming from you, that means a lot. And I really mean that. And I'm going to tell you, I think a lot of it had to do with back then it was territories in Memphis. I was like what they call a staple. You know, a lot of guys came and went, but I was always there as long as I wanted to be. People would come and go and come and go and I'd still be there. And I was always good to everybody. I was never asked anybody when I came to Memphis. I was never a jerk. And they knew I was in tight with Lawler and the Jarrett's and whatnot. But I was good to everyone. Sean came through there on several occasions, uh, a bunch of guys. And I was always good to them. Now, what if I was a prick to them when they came to Memphis? Then when I went to New York, well, they would think I was an asshole. But I didn't do it for that reason. I did it because that's just me. You know, I'm just not going to be a jerk to you unless you're a jerk to me. And then I'll just stay away from you, you know. But I think they realized that because, you know, when Sean was in Memphis, he was just a tag team guy or whatever. He wasn't, you know, the main guy that's going to be the WWE champion. He's just a guy. But I was still good to him. Stone Cold will tell you the same thing when he came to Memphis. I was always good to him. Bruno, how done. was uh, how was Howard Finkel before the tuxedo match? As far as work, I, I know, I know Howard, and Howard got nervous about performing, and that was something that he was not going to be comfortable doing. You had had a jillion matches; you had to be comfortable. Yeah. How was Howard before that match? I'll tell you, it was funny. First of all, let me tell you this: I've had easier bar fights. <laughs> oh well, I've seen it a few times. Yeah, Howard was so nervous. He didn't help you. He didn't want to. Do it. Yeah, and it, how he was before it, it was just like he was like, "Let's go over everything." I said, "No, let's just go with the flow." What like we're having a match where we're you know having high spots. We're just ripping each other's clothes off. I said, "Howard, just get out there and just go with it." So we were in Madison Square Garden. Vince told Howard that he was going over in the match. They played, I think they played Hulk Hogan's music. And Howard went to the ring, boom, boom, boom. And before they sent me the ring, Vince goes, I changed my mind. You're going over. But don't tell Howard. <laughs> I said, oh, Jesus Christ. Here we go. <laughs> so I'm out there, and Howard's doing everything in his power to not 
lose because Vince told him to go over. <laughs> Finally, I just had to stomp him on the head. Not hard, but just enough as to sell later. And I ripped his last thing off. And that was it. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> I never heard that. Did you, did you know that, Jerry? Yeah, I've heard it. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. I mean, I, I think I can, honest to God, John, I think I could have beat you before I could have beat Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Howard knew Vince told him to go over. Yeah. So he and he was going to go over. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's all that mattered that night. <laughs> oh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen Howard taken down there in commercial break by a wrestler that, that somebody, somebody would send out. <laughs> Take down Howard. Take down <laughs> right, Howard. right. And what what a what a good person Howard was, and what a good oh, he's great as the best. After, after yes. even after it was over with, hey, that was a funny one. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was great. I mean, let's let's be honest. We've all been in the business for 30, 40 years, all of us. And there's really, by and large, the vast majority of the people in our business are good guys. Yeah. They really are. There's there's your butt heads and jerks and Whatever the vast majority are good guys. Well, they you really you, you said it right. I mean, just think, just think, uh, Bruno, from the time that you showed up in the WWE, John, or you in WWE, and and and, and I was there about the same same. I was there in 80, 86, 87, whatever. I can't count on my hand fill, fill up a hand of SOBs that I worked with there. And I mean, I I I, I struggle to come up with one, you know, and. Because it, we're we're all family. We right. it's an overused phrase there, but uh, you know what? When you're when you're on the road and you're you're traveling, you're, you're away from everybody that you love and everything. The only people you got are the people sitting in that in that seat next to you, and 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 they're a caring group of guys, man. And and I, I don't regret one minute of it, and I'm I'm proud of every guy I ever, and girl that I ever I ever I ever ever met there. Oh, I agree. I mean, there's always going to be disagreements, and there's always going to be little issues, but for the most part, you know, like you said, we're out doing this together. You know, there's now there's always going to be egos and a holes. It's always going to be. That don't mean you hate the guy, but there's always going to be egos and a holes. Because I always remember. I'm not the, I could be the world champion if the guy with the pencil writes it down. It don't mean I'm the toughest or the best. If the guy with the pencil writes it down. That same guy with that pencil has got that eraser on the other end. So I could be, you know what I mean? Just people have to understand that. Let's take a time out here. And while we normally have a lot of fun on this show, this is a pretty serious topic. Life insurance, specifically Goliath life insurance. Let me give you a pro tip. We're all going to die. So before you get a visit from the undertaker, think just for a second about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow with life insurance from goliathlife.com. What we're really talking about is protecting what you've worked so hard to provide for both you and more importantly, your family. You see, life insurance isn't about you. It's about those who matter the most to you. Sure. You do a great job taking care of them now, but who would do that if something awful happened to you? I just lost two friends in the last year and a half, one 42 with two kids, the other 46 who left behind a wife and three kids. Thank God they had insurance. And Hey, I hear you. Nobody wants to think or talk about life insurance. But think about this. You might not get in a car accident, but you have auto insurance. You might not get sick, but you have health insurance. 
So we'll protect our car and we'll even protect ourselves from like crazy medical bills. But will we protect our family? That's what life insurance means to me. Peace of mind. Goliathlife.com streamlines the life insurance purchase process by allowing you to get quotes from more than 20 carriers all at the same time and at the same place. Goliathlife.com. You'll do a fast and easy application and have multiple quotes within minutes. And oh, by the way, Goliathlife.com has solutions for every budget. And maybe best of all, you pick your terms and payments at Goliathlife.com. Once you pick your price, you can start the online application immediately. And check this out. You can even schedule the medical exam to happen in your home. You don't even have to leave the house to do this. And yes, I have done this. I sent someone to my office. It was fast. It was easy. And it was unlike anything I expected. I got to skip the phone calls, the paperwork and the crazy invasive conversations, and even the multiple visits to the doctor's office that we all hate so much. Goliathlife.com makes buying life insurance simple. Goliathlife.com promises no hidden fees, no upsell, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliathlife.com is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. And you were the women's champion. Damn right. That was the longest 24 hours of my life. <laughs> well, Harvina, you and I have something in common. We both were dressed up as women had the worst match of the year. Right, 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 right. You ain't lying about that. It was, it was yeah, mine was just, Mine set the company back 50 years. <laughs> Mine set it back 100 years. We still hadn't recovered, man. <laughs> oh, my God. I loved, I loved how Michael Cole interviewed you after you won the snow uh, bathtub Money. match, whatever it was, yeah. snow swimming pool match. And and when he, when he you only when he spoke, he goes, wait a minute. I recognize that voice. <laughs> You've been at <laughs> That one's so good. He goes, you ain't from Pennsylvania. You're from Walls, Mississippi. And I shoved him in the <laughs> It was, and I'm going to tell you, John, you're from the Southwest. I'm from the deep South. You don't think it was easy for me to come home as a transsexual? <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> Hey, when, when we when we did uh, drag night at Timmy White's bar up in Providence, yeah, he had some of his regulars call in and say, "Hey, we're not coming in," because <laughs> like, dude, it's a TV show. It's not right. real. It's it's, it's really and not drag funny, night. Yeah. Hey, speaking of him, that's another great guy, Timmy White. Great guy. I I mean, we're talking about great guys. He's a great. Effing guy. I love Timmy. White. He's a great guy, uh, uh, Bruno, but uh, he got so mad at John and I trying to get him on the show. We had him as far as pulled over on the side of the road in Texas with his cell phone out trying to get a hold of him. He ended up throwing the cell phone out the window and he hadn't contacted us since. You're Good kidding. Choice. Why? <laughs> because he's a moron. <laughs> oh, well, he, that was in Texas. he was in Texas. He had that bad internet and he blamed John and I. For those oh, for those listening, Timmy's not a moron. He's technologically inept. So he gets well, outside of the phone. He gets outside the road and he can't get the phone to work to do the call with us. And he starts getting mad at me and Jerry because he can't figure out his phone. Damn. Finally, he tells us to F off and hangs up on us. 
Damn. We had no room, had no room since. Wow. That's funny. Hey, I'm technologically uh, inept too, so that's why I'm in a hotel room right now. <laughs> I, if I was at my house right now, forget. Plus, well, I thought you had a permanent room service the way you're putting down those damn chicken wings, man. You're making me hungry. Man, I got a 36-pack of chicken wings here. I've been 36 eating them. Pack, huh? Yeah, 36 chicken wings. No kidding. And you got a beer to go along with each one of them, huh? Yeah, I've got, I still got about nine beers left. So <laughs> so how many how many years before you have to run for re-election in Walls? Uh, three. It's a four-year term. That is, I won the election in June. So, Did you win by a big margin? Yes and no. It's comparative. Honest to God, John, there was only, of the 1,100 people in Walls, only about 200 voted. So, you know, it's just, I, I mean, I had like 59 votes. It's not the, really fair. You had the rock campaign for you. Right. Right. So there's so much chance you're, you're going to lose. Yeah. I mean, there was like nine of us ran for five seats. And, you know, I, I was the third from the top. You know, I'm the only Republican on the board and the only white guy on the board, which is not an issue, believe me. But I'm just saying it's just interesting because normally it's usually mostly all African-Americans. But I was lucky enough that I'm friends with all of them, both sides of the table, both, you know, African-Americans and white people. Because I'm not a racist and I'm not a really political person. So luckily, everybody knows that. And what made you decide to run for Alderman of Walls, Mississippi? Because this other guy that was going to run uh, said, well, if I get in Alderman, I'm going to push to give our charter up and give walls to the county. and let Because we don't have enough people here, enough revenue. Let's just the county take it over. Well, if the county takes it over, they could absorb it into the next town, which is Horn Lake, which is right next to Memphis, which is a huge town. And our taxes would have went up. Our regulations would have changed. It would have, we are the most rural town in DeSoto County, Mississippi. We don't want that to change. And this guy was trying to give it, give our town away. So the fire chief, the police chief, and everybody came to me and said, please run. We know you can win. And because they would have lost their job because the county would have took over the fire department. The sheriff department would have took over the law enforcement. All the cops would have been fired. All the firemen would have been fired. So I ran and I won and I'm hoping I get reelected next time. Is there your term limited there? Or, or? No, no term limit. Because it's only a part-time job. You know, we don't have two meetings a month unless an emergency session is called. For Like, for example, if one of the police officers quits or gets fired or whatever, we have to vote on the new applicant. And he comes in and says his piece in front of all of us, and we vote yay or nay, you know, things like that. But it's, it's mostly just... Little things like uh, the fire department needs to eight hundred dollars to buy new helmets, yay or nay. You know things like that. It's, it's sometimes it's more complicated. Like this guy wants to build a fence around his property, but our dimensions are only so many feet. And he wants to make it so many feet. You know whatever. And I don't even understand. I just go, yeah, do whatever. Yes, no, whatever. Because <laughs> I don't know about stuff like that. So, so eventually, if, if 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 things would work out right, and you do get annexed, we could see a political race where we have Mayor uh, Jacobs versus Mayor Whipperman uh, at one time for running well, yeah, for he, governor or go, running for governor of Tennessee. That's right. You could have the of Mississippi against the governor of Tennessee for the presidency. Whipperman versus uh, Kane. 
Yeah. Oh my God. I think I'm going to wait until I'm old enough to retire and just be done with all this. Just cut grass. <laughs> Bruno, tell us about your house. That was a, you tell us, tell us about the, I've heard about your house before from Jerry. Tell us about what you did with your house, a historic place. Yeah. It's a, it's a uh, old cotton gin. They were using it for storage. They weren't using it for ginning no more because it was outdated. And it's a 4,000 square foot building, solid steel. They, they corrugated stuff now. It's from 1941 and on an acre and a half. So the guy was uh, selling one of $33,000 for it, for the building, the property, everything. And I told him, his, his name was Alan. He used to own the store in Wallace back when Americans used to own gas stations. <laughs> and I said, so, Alan, I'd like to buy that building from you. I said, but I don't want to finance it. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you $15,000 cash in a duffel bag today if you'll just sell it to me for that. He goes, you got 15000 cash? I said, in a duffel bag if you want it. He goes, meet me at so-and-so real estate place over on, on Goodman Road at whatever time, and we'll sign the papers. And I came in with $15,000 cash. They counted it out, signed the papers. I paid the there's a title search fee you have to pay. So if something comes out later, there was a lien against it or something, I wouldn't be screwed, paid that. We split the cost of that and it became mine. And I, I spent uh, another 10, 12,000 fixing it up, making it into a home. Uh, and it's 4,000 square foot homes. And I love it. I'll be there till the day I die. <laughs> that is awesome. So that fifteen thousand dollars cash—that was probably the tips you got from APA helping them out during their time. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's hey, exactly me, and, right. me and Ron always tried the tip very well. We knew where we were taking care hey, of. Y'all did. Uh, <clears throat> Batista did. A lot of guys did. Some guys would send me to do something that. Uh, here's your five dollars, buddy. Said, Bruce Pritchard was a big tipper to you too, right? Yeah, one time I was leaning back in my chair and he tipped it over. <laughs> if you want to lump uh, Bruce in with Bulldog Brown and Vader, we don't mind that at all. We won't. Stick up, we will not stick up for him. No, I I, I like Bruce. I respect Bruce. I mean, I don't have nothing against Bruce. <laughs> I, we had we had our love hate relationship, but you know, Bruno, we're his only two friends, and we don't like him. <laughs> I wish y'all were here right now so we could click one together, man. <laughs> you dang right, we'd have a good time. Hell yeah. I can't wait for that Memphis thing. I, I, I'm there. I'm yeah, there. yeah, it's a great, wonderful charity. I look forward to seeing you. We'll be at Jerry Lawler's uh, bar on Bill Street. Yeah, I've been there several times. There's several pictures of me in there, actually. You know, and I'll he's, got, the, he's got my picture literally by the bathroom. I mean, it's just, it's like, oh. you have to go all the way through the, the front, which is it's a real cool place on Bill Street, right? Go all the way to the back, and there it is, literally right by the bathroom. I'll be damned. And literally, Lawler, you know, he, he's the best. You can't, you can't corner Lawler or anything. I said, Jerry, my, my picture's by the freaking bathroom. He goes, yeah, that's what all the men will see it. <laughs> Dude, oh, don't man. even start. Don't <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. You know, I'll tell you all this, too. One of the proudest moments of my life, no kidding. Last month, two months ago, they inducted me into the Memphis Wrestling Hall of Fame. That was huge to me. This is where I was just nobody starting out. And for me to get, and it was in the front pages of the Soto County newspaper, and it, it meant the world to me. That meant 
the world to me. I'm the only one left is WWE now, you know, but that's that, awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. That was Good huge God. to me, you know. It just at that time, Phil and Bruno. I mean, that, that just shows the hard work that you put in and the respect that you gain, not only from your peers, but from the fans out there and from, from the public to, to be honored like that. It was quite an honor. Quite you, an honor. you deserve it. I mean, it's that's that's not a gift. You you deserve that. And I thank you for that. And and y'all are great guys. And I'm, that's why I want to do this thing with y'all. You know, it's just it's just, I knew we'd have a great time. And you know, and 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 Jerry, I want to tell you that when I first met your brother Jack in St. Louis years and years and years ago, what a respectful, nice man your brother was to me. And he didn't know me. And when I met him years later when he came to do a deal with WWE. Well, he didn't remember me, but just very respectful, very friendly. What just what a great guy. Great guy. Thank you. Thank you. He 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 was that. He, everybody loved him because of that. You know, everybody was the same to him, you know. Yeah. He didn't, yeah. You know who else was reminds me of your brother? Not physically, but demeanor or whatever. Nick Bockwinkle was just like that too. Right. He was a really nice. Was two men of class right there. Two men of high class. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Pat O'Connor was always nice to me. Yeah. You know, we were very fortunate, you know, come through Bruno, you know, we uh, through the South, the old, old school South wrestling and some of those real legends of the South, like, like the names you just mentioned there, you know, Jack and then, uh, and Lawler and uh, and Goggle and O'Connor and guys like that and Harley races that that we bumped into during during our, our time. Yeah, we. I mean, so many and some of the guys that you and me probably know that, and, and, and John probably knows that a lot of people don't even remember like that I liked like Ronnie Etchison, uh, Mike George. Uh, you know, oh, Ronnie uh, Edgerson, yeah, what a respected man and he was. Tiger Joe McCarthy, you know, some of those old guys like that. No, know. I didn't know him. You know, I, did I you know Sputnik? Him. Did you know Sputnik Monroe? Oh, sure, I did. Yeah, Sputnik was he, he drew a lot of money in Memphis. You know, he's the one that integrated wrestling in Memphis. Did you know right. about that? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, re he, refu guy. he refused to work until the promoter allowed uh, the African Americans down on the floor with everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, a cool and, legacy. Yes. And then also, he got arrested for drinking in a Bill Street bar that was a blacks only. Yeah. He said, if you're going to take me to jail, let's go because I'm not, I'm going to drink here. I want to be here. And after that, they integrated the bars too. I mean, Sputnik was a groundbreaker in Memphis. He didn't care about that right you know what to me the stupidest person in the world is a person that judges someone else on their race creed or color amen amen uh bruno uh you came up with the name downtown bruno because you, you'd seen a movie and uh and yeah that, that's a great story there uh, yeah there was a guy named tim reed if y'all remember he played uh Venus Flytrap on fly trap, yeah. Yeah, WKRP in Cincinnati. Well, he ended up coming on a TV show called Simon and Simon, which was a detective show or whatever. And he was like a detective or a, I forget what his deal was, but he was like, you know, the cool cat on the show. And his name was Downtown Brown. And I said, wow, that is cool. I'm going to be Downtown Bruno. And from that day on, that's, that was my name. I said, I'm downtown Bruno. I, so if I ever meet that actor, I'm going to tell him, you gave me my career without knowing it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
Hell, he's probably wanting to meet you. You probably added five years to his career. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's where it came from. I invented that myself because I didn't want to be Leonard Spazinski. That's what Dino gave me. Dino was a great guy, but he couldn't come up with a gimmick name to save his life. Who gave you that name? Guido Mongol. The he guy that was the original yeah, Mongol. Yeah, it was Guido. And you know, his partner was the other Mongol was Nikolai Volkov. You know, who was a great guy. Yeah, yeah. And Nikolai, what you got to say about Nikolai? He's in the business for about 50 years and never took a bump. He collapsed a few times in the ring, but he never took a bump. <laughs> You'd hit him, he'd go down to one knee, then he'd kind of roll over sideways. <laughs> oh, I love Nikolai, but he sure couldn't work. Bruno, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, you, there's so much we could talk about that uh, we didn't, but uh, God almighty, it's it's so good to have you. I knew you'd be great. J- Jerry said, Jerry asked me, you know, kind of rhetorically, how do you think Bruno going to be? I said, he's going to be freaking awesome. And that's <laughs> just exactly like we thought. Man, I appreciate so it. so much history. You got so much respect. You've got so much in this business. You're part of this business. I mean, since... Good grief. Last 30, 40 years, you've been involved in every bit of it. Well, I mean, this is an honor to me to be with y'all. An honor. And I don't do this for anybody. This is the first time I've done it since Jericho. The last one I did was Jericho. That was when he was still with us, you know. So I love it. And I'll, I'll do it again anytime you want to. And, man, it's just fantastic. We had Tony Chimmel on a, a few weeks back. You know, we were trying to give Tony a, a home. You know, he's down here in Florida, and he's basically homeless. So we, we wanted <laughs> to get him on the air. And, uh, you know, he talked very highly of you. But he also told some stories. You got you got any Tony Chimmel? I mean, everybody can throw Tony Chimmel under the bus. You got any stories that we can throw him under the bus? Oh, Lord. Nah, nothing. I love Tony Chimmel. He's one of my favorite guys that I have fun with. Now, I don't, honestly, I couldn't even come up with him negative thing to say about him. Other than that, he's not very handsome. But besides <laughs> that, you know. <laughs> Tony is the opposite of good looking. There you go. There you go. But we're here, Tony would be over there. He, he's not close. <laughs> I get a Christmas card every year from Walls, Mississippi, and it usually says Jerry uglier than I am Briscoe on the envelope. <laughs> Jerry the ugliest man in Florida, Briscoe in there. And it's always from Walls, Mississippi. Every time. <laughs> and by the way, you know I got two Christmas cards from you this year, Jerry. Well, that's how much I love you, Bruno. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> oh my God. Hey, let me ask you a question. And I know you're fixing to wrap this up. I'm just curious. One guy that I always never, I mean, never worked with, never was in a territory with him, only met him briefly or whatever. One guy that I think is probably, besides Lawler and a few others, the greatest guy I've ever watched in the ring is Don Morocco. Amen. I, just, I think Don Morocco, I sometimes, you know, when I can't sleep at night or I'm ready to go to sleep, I look at my iPad and watch his old matches. That guy is one guy I told Lawler. I wish he'd have came to Memphis and worked with Lawler. My God, if I could have managed him against Lawler, it would have been great. To me, Morocco was almost the best there ever was. I think he yeah, was. Yeah, you got that. We had Morocco on our show a couple, a few, few weeks back. You know, Don is so modest. I mean, he 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 don't even talk about his career. But when when I first met Don, he he'd come to Florida just right before I did, and he was in an angle with Jack. 
and they, uh-huh. they it was a baby face angle, and they turned on uh, Hill against Jack by by reversing the figure four, and then then they you know Don kind of favored Jack because they both had that full head of hair and they're very handsome guys, and Don outweighed Jack about forty or fifty pounds. That was about the only difference, but their work style was so similar. But Don, Don, what what a nice guy he was, and uh, John got to got to talk to him for an hour and a half or so, and. Man, what a career that guy had! And you're right, you're right. What a great—he was a great, 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 great performer, great worker in the business. And he was—I'll tell you what. Yes, he was huge. And I, like I said, I better been passing. I didn't get to know him. I never worked with him in the territory. But if y'all ever get him on again, I would love to be a fourth member of the crew and just tell him personally because I actually, had like a mark. I've never done this ever. Like a mark, I had my picture made with him when he came to the Hall of Fame that year. It's on my wall at home in a frame because to me, I mean, I used to love his matches. Everything he did looked believable. Everything he did looked great. When I watched him at Pedro Morales in the ring, it was like, you couldn't tell me that was predetermined. You couldn't tell me that. It was looked like a prize fight. Those guys, man, I mean, I just admire Morocco's work more than, I can't even explain it. He's to me, he's the best there ever was, besides a few others. But I mean, he's right up there, right up there. I, you know. Well, I'm good. I'm, I'm sure he'll listen to our show because since he's been on, he, he's been kind of paying attention to us here. So uh, I'll send him a message to make sure he gets this clip. And uh, and uh, I'm sure if he runs into you, Don's just a good old boy, just like every, we all are here. And he'll probably give you a big hug and thank you, man. He, he's a good person. Feel free to give him my number. I mean, seriously, I would love to tell him personally. No, no joke. I mean, for really. Oh well, well, Bruno, we can't tell you how how proud we are to have you on 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 our show here. We we got a little game here. I'd like to like you, Clay. It's called B Square uh, Five Point uh, uh, Bump here, and I'll start out. We're going to ask you five little simple questions, one word questions, and. I think I know the answer to the first one, Bud Light or Miller Light. Bud Light. Favorite movie. Cool Hand Luke. Lou Thez or Pat O'Connor? Pat O'Connor. Greatest heel ever. Jerry the King Lawler. I'm thinking of a number, one, two, or three. Two. Right. What do you mean, right, Jerry? That's that's such BS. You what do you mean? You can't do that. Why, How do we know that wasn't fixed? Why are you saying he's a cheater or what? No, I'm saying you're a cheater. How am I a cheater? He guessed the number, John. He didn't guess the number. He guessed the number and you said it was the right number. He had one out of three chance and he got it right, man. <laughs> Like the carnival, he grew up in the carnival, man. So he knows the part of the game. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, wait one time right before we go. I saw when I was working on the carnival circuit in Europe. You know, we wrestled in the tents, the carnivals, and uh, you know, we're running around. Right, and right. I, I used to go and watch the shell game, and I mean, those things are amazing to watch. You know, the guy has the three shells. You try to guess which one. Then they, the guy will tip his uh, thumb, and the shell will come up, and you'll see the ball. Then the guy who's the mark will guess the wrong one, or you know, whatever. There, there's a the, the term mark came from when you would mark somebody on the back with a piece of chalk. I've seen that done. It's so cool. You know, they, they, they would find the patsy. Then you'd have the guy, you'd have the mark, you'd have the guy who's set up on it, who's in on it. 
I mean, it's such a cool thing to watch. Wow. Pee on a patsy? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but they'd mark the guy with chalk when he'd come in. The guy would welcome him in and mark him with chalk. And that way the guy would do the show game and the other guy would spot him. And they'd figure out, you know, some guy was pretty good at recognition of guys who are obviously gullible. Right. <laughs> it was unbelievable. One That's last cool. question, and, and, and John got me to think about carnivals. Harvey, when you were working with the carnivals, did they, was it a take-on-all-comers all type deal? No, they didn't do nothing like that. It was just strictly a, 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 they, they had, a they had, show they type had deal. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I was going to say, was you ever the mark and went in and like took on one of the deals? Hey, if this guy can do it, you can do it, and have everybody yeah. lined up to take no, I've heard about that, but no, it wasn't the deal I was at. No, nothing like that. Well, thank you again, man. It's been a pleasure here. And, uh, man, you've made me hungry with all those chicken wings, and you made me thirsty with that, that, that Bud Light. Look, you got, awesome. you got a lot to go, man. Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. I love y'all, man. Thank you. 